We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is on assignment, but Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I just normally discuss the movies weekly. However, every now and then, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. This is our commentary track for December 2022. We are finishing off the year with the pretty epic commentary track because we are recording this a day before the release of Avatar, colon, The Way of Water, and what better way to celebrate than by getting into the 13th anniversary of Avatar from 2009, director James Cameron's epic adventure movie. That's right. We're going to talk all about Avatar. You already noticed this when you saw that your podcast is going to last you two hours and 45 minutes. Uh, well, here you go. This is what that's going to be. Joining me that's to discuss. That's a normal Sunday night Aaron podcast. Joining me to discuss. They've been pretty short lately. Joining me to discuss Avatar, we have from Why So Blue and host of the Brandon Peters show. He's not in Kansas anymore, but he will be accepting anything that tastes like jujubes. It's Brandon Peters. Did you know it, it's Fern Gully? Did you, did you know? Did you know? Did you know it's Pocahontas in space? Did you? Did you know? Did you know? Did you? Hi. Happy to be here. Also joining us from The Rap. He act like baby, making noise, don't know what to do. It's Scott Mendelson. That felt personal, Aaron. <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> okay, carry on. How are you guys doing this evening? <laughs> <laughs> I am good. Well, we are going to talk all about Avatar. What we're going to do here is talk all over the film. We currently have a pause at five seconds in. So if you plan to watch Avatar while listening to us talk about avatar you need to pause the five seconds in then on the we'll count down from three and press play and you'll be hearing us talk about the movie while you watch it if you just plan to you know listen to listen to this good on you you're fine don't need to do anything at all um yeah i (laughs) think that's enough preamble this is a long movie you guys ready yeah yep all right here we go three two one Okay, we are set to go talking about this gigantic James Cameron movie. Mm -hmm. Before we get to when, you know, I feel like we all saw this when it came out, opening night, whatever. I don't feel like that's going to be too much of a mystery. Um, When did you first hear about Avatar? Like James Cameron was working on something like this. Avatar was always one of those weird, mysterious projects that he was always about to do because obviously he made titanic titanic and he spent a decade under the sea literally you know he i remember saying him something effect that you know i can make movies when i'm old but you know i can't do this for forever you know eventually i will be too old to you know go in a submarine and go check out the wreckage of titanic personally or whatever he was up to he went against um, uh, the advice of albert brooks and sharon stone and the muse when they told him to stay out of the water <laughs> um and but honestly, nobody knew what this film was even remotely about until the first trailer dropped in like August of 2009. Yeah. And we saw the trailer and it was that was released that morning. And it was, oh, this is again, you know, without getting into the discourse yet, it was kind of, you know, Dances with Wolves, uh, Pocahontas, The Last Samurai. That did, you know? did you know? <laughs> did you know? I did know. And having just seen Battle for Terra, which is a mostly forgotten Lionsgate animated film, which kind of plays in the same sandbox, um, it was kind of interesting. It was like it was yes, initially I was sort of struck by how oh, it's 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 a recognizable narrative. 
if that makes sense. Like, oh, it's it's just that kind of movie. Uh, but they did have what was called Avatar Day, I think that evening, mm-hmm. where yeah, you the, went to a theater for the 21st. free. Yeah, I was there. Um, and they had about 20 minutes of footage mm-hmm. in 3D. And it was pretty impressive. It was very impressive, I would say. I remember thinking the 3D, I still feel this way, where I was more impressed by the real world stuff that we're seeing now. You know, the hard, tangible spaceships and construction equipment and human beings and how real that 3D felt, as opposed to the jungles of Pandora, which looked great, but it was more fantastical, so it was almost... I don't want to say less impressive because I'd be a dick. Um, but yeah, comparatively, I was less impressed initially with the wholly fantastical stuff and how that looked in 3D versus stuff that theoretically could be real that looked in some of the best live action 3D I'd ever seen. I want to talk about that real quick because we just got over the scenes where you're having obviously the you know, you know introduction of Jake, Sully, and all that. I do think Cameron knows what he's doing with this. I do think the the way he's introducing this presumably that you're going to see it in 3d for the first time when you're in a theater i the look is so good when you have him like entering out of the cryo sleep and he's in the ship and it's because it's not just like here's some people walking around a spaceship like i don't know alien it's like in a zero g environment where there's all kinds of backgrounds actions going on and everything and it's adding this element to it where it just immerses you immediately like mm-hmm. there's so many 3D movies that don't seem to get mainly because it just just added on at, after the fact, so it's just trash, and I and you know they're not using the same tech that Cameron's using and what have you. He like knows exactly what he's doing as far as training the audience to accept something, and that's so important and crucial to why this movie part of why this movie is such the success that it was because it really does not only give you the spectacle but like finds the way to accurately bring you into it as you need to be and that's it truly gives you the perspective of jake sully Mm -hmm. we only get to these parts and things as he's traveling to see them they don't hide a lot they're not hiding stuff from us intentionally like we get to see all this impressive stuff right here and they're not quickly showing us some stuff to cheat it's as jake goes through it we really go through it too um, one thing I'd like to quickly say is that, you know, every time I've seen this film since theaters, and I've seen it several times since then, um, I'm always just impressed by how freaking good it looks in 2D. Oh, yeah. And this is a gorgeous, <laughs> a <beautiful> movie. <laughs> gorgeous looking movie. And, you know, I, I, again, I don't want to spend too much time on the discourse, um, especially that idiot Forbes writer that wrote about the film not having much of a pop culture impact back in 2014. Yeah, what a child, what an thinking. asshole. <laughs> yeah, I know. He got his. Um, but anyway, that I being hope, said, I, I hope mean, his children get theirs too for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they will. They will. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's this is you know the again the idea that oh you know the movie isn't worth seeing if it's not in the theater in three D and you know, I guess there are some movies that lose a lot at home like maybe the Polar Express, which I like, but that was a fucking jaw-dropper in 3D IMAX, let me tell you. Um, maybe I should see it in theaters again to like get this vision of Polar Express that people have, because I, I don't dislike <laughs> it. It just it doesn't do much for oh, me. Yeah. It's like... yeah, just part of it, I was, I was surprised at how good it looked. But nonetheless, this is not one of those movies. This film, every time I've watched it, whether on a big screen television or on an airplane, I watched The, la- the Last Act while flying home from... from 
yeah, I think I was flying home from California, from Ohio, back to California. And I watched the third act on an airplane, on the little tiny airplane seats. And it was engrossing. I was entertained. And the film works on such a fundamental level because James Cameron knows what the hell he's doing. And yeah, it's sometimes fun. You know, people make fun of his sincere and or non-Tarantino-ish dialogue but he knows how to craft a plot, you know, and it's the scripting when it comes to storytelling and plotting is just almost un- unparalleled. When you have solid foundation, you can't shake yeah. the house. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. it's, it's going to work. And th- this shot right here, this giant thing, you know, it's a construction vehicle with arrows in the, you know, it's, it's what a wonderful bit of visual storytelling. Yes. Before you know yeah. anything about the Navi. Right. It, it's, <laughs> yeah i mean talking about the discourse will only get you so yeah. far but it's just like cameron didn't wake up yesterday just make avatar <laughs> like he knows how to make a movie and it's not it's not like people were like i don't know about this guy beforehand he's made nothing but successful movies in terms of <laughs> what they're trying to do not nearly on just a spectacle level like he's made he has crafted narratives that people are so compelled by that they're like we need to keep making terminator sequels because what else are we gonna do like <laughs> people keep well, wanting this because he made this <laughs> and you know not to get too off track here but you know i've, I've talked about this a lot because it amuses me but james cameron's work in the arena of 80s and i guess early 90s sequels you know he wrote he co-wrote Rambo First Blood Part Two. He directed Aliens. I don't know if he wrote that or not. You'll have to, I think he did. Yeah, he did. Um, because he, yeah, he presented the idea to yes. the studio to do yeah. another. Oh yeah, the, the dollar sign thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously wrote and directed Terminator Two, and these were these three sequels that were so successful, and so successful in being giant events even to people who didn't care about the first ones that i think they almost single-handedly tricked hollywood into thinking that any remotely successful genre film could spawn an ever-loving or an everlasting and ever monetizable franchise Mm -hmm. when in truth it was just no no james cameron just knows what he's doing yeah um and you know it's 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 i know he did not direct first blood part two and he didn't you know he somewhat disavows it in terms of the politics but that film is very much a james cameron sequel in the same way the terminator 2 and aliens are in that you have the character from the first film who's horribly traumatized returning to the scene of the crime and sort of like healing themselves by defeating the threat on a much larger scale um mm-hmm. And what's interesting without getting into Avatar 2, because I know you haven't seen it yet, is that it's not that. It's playing a very different game because, you know, it's it's not a giant budgeted sequel to a smaller budgeted original, because obviously this film, Avatar, was the biggest, most expensive original movie ever made. And there's also, so a, there's also a fuller narrative in mind because there's multiple sequels on the way and not just here's a yes. one-off next entry. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Yes, we'll keep that in mind as well. Myself and Scott, at this point of recording, we have seen the sequel, but Brandon is not, so it's not a matter of you know, trying to compare or make any no- notes in that realm. But stay tuned for and out you, now. And you, the listener, you... might not have seen it either. Yes, but stay Boy, tuned for out good. now, because we will, we will have our Avatar episode soon enough. Um, I thought you already had your Tar episode. We had the pre- <laughs> yeah, we, we talked about the prequel, yeah. Um, but, oh. and, no, sorry, I'll stop talking. Yeah, thanks. Uh, no. 
I, no, you know, I'm saying I, I made the mistake. You were talking about the theatrical experience of this movie. I saw this movie in theaters back in 2009. IMAX 3D blew me away. Like, it was just, I don't care what the story was. You That experience was amazing. Like, the when they do the part when Michelle Rodriguez flies them through the, the floating mountains, which is in the background of Aaron's <laughs> screen right now, um, that was just un- unreal. Like, you felt immersed and like there wasn't another 3d movie to do that that well till gravity uh mm-hmm. once again helmed by someone who knows how to shoot a movie um and i'd argue, I'd argue hugo but yes i I take your was point. hugo before that yeah 11 okay hugo and i thought Coraline was pretty good in 3d as Cor- well yeah um before avatar. before avatar yeah before avatar uh but this movie i just i was immersed it was like you were almost v- had a vr headset on instead of 3d glasses and i was like i'm never gonna replicate that i really want to keep this memory of how good this movie was this first time and i didn't watch it again for the second time till last year because we were going to disney and my kids taking them to the avatar uh the animal kingdom uh place i wanted to see the movie that they'd be experiencing this ride for and i watched it i was like holy crap this is it looks good on at home on the small screen i should imagine james cameron is a guy like Michael Bay, who's thinking about his effects beyond the theatrical that oh, for sure. they hold up yeah. on home video. And it really did. And I was really invested in the story still. And it holds up. Is this going to be one? Is this one of my favorite movies of all time? No, but it is indeed one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had um, in my lifetime. Uh, it's up there, you know, with Jurassic Parks, uh, Batman's, so just that movie that's just like, holy crap. Um, and yeah, it, it's funny. The, the, people like i don't know what changed because a lot of people liked this movie when it came out and then all of a sudden just uh, let blockbuster but but also a lot of people still like this movie today if you listen to twitter this movie's gonna make 10 bucks this weekend and then we're they're gonna be surprised when it, it makes money but um i've been to the theme park people get really excited about the stuff there the lines it's insane the lines for the rides they have for this and the People wear the Navi stuff all over the parks the whole time. Like it's it's a global sensation. Um and you well, know, yeah, I, was... I, I mean people being vocal online about something is not a is not a thing that's going I to I don't like it, you shouldn't. <laughs> like it's yeah. it is it is very easy to be negative and loud. That is not a hard thing to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it and, is and, it is and... much it is just as common to not have much to say because what do right. you need to keep proving if you like something you liked it like you're not right. gonna keep yelling that <laughs> like, well and the 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 backlashy things they talk about like the really? like i've been poking fun of the the fern gully the dances well like yeah you realize a lot of movies come from things from other movies i could talk about the star you know the star wars that's beloved being the searchers just hidden fortress hidden fortress the searcher they all come from that they all have obvious references you just maybe the newer movies you understand the references just like how when people talk about movies and shows not being political it's like no you just recognize the politics now that's the difference and like it's okay that's where stories are crafted from others that's where they come from the borrow cinema borrows from cinema stage everything like that's fun that's part of the thing the rip off don't remake um thing we talk about but i i just i just want there to be some effort put into the like that you know there's ways to pick apart avatar i'm not saying i don't think it's perfect by any means i think it's way too enjoyable and impressive to you know shun it but it's like there's there's there are 
absolutely ways that you can remark upon this movie in a negative light, given its uses of colonialism or the dialogue or how it crafts certain characters. There are ways to delve into that. But if you're just going to tell me this movie reminded me of another movie, You've lost me in this argument. Well, and, <laughs> and it left no pop culture footprint aside from being the highest grossing movie of all time. Well, that was the point initially. Yeah. And to, to be fair, I do think that was somewhat true at the time. I just I don't think it's been true for a, a while. And I realized when I went to Disney World in very early 2018 and saw the world of Pandora mm-hmm. and saw how interested even my kids that had never even barely even heard of Avatar, that they were interested in the iconography and the, the it's stunning to be in the middle of it. You're like, holy yeah. crap, they have and the tree there. And I like... showed them the movie when we got back. So this was early 2018 and they loved it. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's like, okay, yeah, they're going to, yeah. <laughs> Especially well, if, you know, for better or worse, you know, because that's when, you know, Disney might buy Fox. Okay, if Disney buys Fox, then they're not going to fuck around. They're going to make sure that Avatar is a Star Wars level event. Well, and the, the pop culture footprint was a lot different uh, than yeah. your typical selling shirts and stuff. It Like 3D became a much bigger thing. Um, you know, they tried making Sam Worthington a star that didn't pan out. Uh, but there's different aspects that that can be ahead of theme park um i did i listened to an interview with uh john landau the producer on it today and they talking about the pop culture footprint and he said one of the big issues was fox at the time because um they didn't know how to work these things because this was their first like franchise born from them the other franchises they didn't own star wars was a licensing thing lucas handled all that stuff uh x-men that that wasn't theirs that they didn't own marvel um so those brands did the that kind of like marketing for stuff and they weren't familiar with it when it came to avatar because everybody else handled it all the time mm-hmm. and so they were trying to introduce and trying to sh- figure out with them how to do that and he's like he's like they just didn't know because everything every all of their franchises they didn't own i also have to assume and i don't want to speak out of turn for other people that there was some hesitancy to go hog wild in terms of merchandising in case the film bombed yeah because they weren't we weren't sure i mean you know there's a reason they opened alwyn and the chipmunks the squeakle five days later and it was sort of like a safety net I yeah. just want to point out that it only took 16 minutes for Sam Worthington to be getting to his Navi mm-hmm. body. My nice. God. Um, when they give you a Navi before you get the exploration, too, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. Think about it. They oh, put it's the a, Navi. I just, I think this pacing is great, honestly. Yeah. Like the, the way you're in being slowly introduced to what this world is, what's going on here. And again, it plays with that 3D, just the ways, but it's not in your face about it. Like there's just so much good in the direct, like just watching this on a much smaller TV than I normally would watch this movie on, let alone not in 3D. And yes, it, Scott, it's absolutely impressive still. Like there's no, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the colors. Yeah, and I'm as I'm a guy that's seen the sequel that has improved <laughs> upon the effects, and these effects are yeah. still better than most things I've ever seen. So. Well, you know, I was when I was watching this um, last week. Uh, and to get ready for the second one and this commentary, I was just like, my head hurt thinking about the amount of planning before even shooting about these creatures and characters. It really is a leave- living, breathing, fake planet. Mm-hmm. Like, and when they go in the woods, stuff like there's just all sorts of such tiny details that don't 
fucking matter at all, but they could tell you everything about them, how they work, and, you, and oh, yeah. they make sense in the world. And there's not a lot of people, like Guillermo del Toro does that with his films. Like he's thought about a lot of things that don't matter, but they help his film because they do. Um, it's the same thing with like when and, he made Titanic and he has like in the rooms of the ship, in the dressers, they have clothes from the period in the dressers. They will never open those dressers to see those clothes, but he replicated it because that's mm-hmm. the world that they lived in. That's but the nobody likes that movie anymore. Just <laughs> saying, Aaron, nobody likes that movie. It was, you know. Um, I, I regret to t- inform you that my daughter is a Titanic truther. It mm. breaks what, my fucking heart. What, it never sunk? They sung. both could have fit on the boat. It never they both could have fit on the door. Truther. Yeah. Uh, by the uh, way, in terms of like things to be weirdly annoyed about, the we passed over the uh, unobtainium, um, a term that's existed since I believe the fifties, <laughs> um, mm. and this isn't even the first movie to mention unobtainium. But of yeah. course, it's a I weird, mean, it's a weird sticking we, point for people as far if as we like, want to nitpick. I always thought it was weird that he was giving that expositional monologue as if she didn't, you know, as if she had never heard of this substance before, and obviously it's for our benefit. But the way the scene is staged is almost like, wait a minute, she surely knows what this shit is, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd she's... agree. At the I'll same time, I do think the kind of guy Rabisi is playing is the kind of person mm-hmm. that would do that. So, like, I don't well, think that's it's... fair. <laughs> yeah, it's a nitpick. Right. It's well, here's, not... here's the thing, too. Pandora ain't that creative of a name for a planet either. Like, And the thing is, we remember that. We remember Obtainium. But if it was like Klaus to Schick's number seven... <laughs> You know, unobtainium's dumb, but it's easy for an audience to pick it's, up on. Get get that. Oh yeah, that's probably some stuff they shouldn't be digging up or whatever. Like, and for all for all the talk about oh, people can't name characters or whatever. Everyone can name the location. And Jake Sully, like it's oh, yeah, funny. Like, oh, dude, what's the main character? <laughs> it was like Jake Sully. They said it a billion times in the movie. <laughs> like they say Jake Sully a ton. Um. And I mean, and another I, pop culture staple, everybody knows uh Stephen Lang in this movie. Everybody <laughs> knows. Like and and there was like all of a sudden it's like, oh, you should play cable because he, he looked like cable in that one movie. So how that... do you remember that though? <laughs> <laughs> um I, I do think I, without I, making I, I will, no, I will, once again I will say, as far as like the naming stuff, I the the kind again the kinds of people running this whole thing is like wealthy business wealthy white businessmen yes they would have dumb names for things. I don't like it does, yeah. it does, mm-hmm. I don't think Cameron is not thinking about this that's that's all I'm saying I don't think he's sitting there being like what's my what's my lazy version of this I'm thinking I think he's thinking like what would what would a person like Giovanni Ravisi a like 40s businessman who like has no real experience be like what would what would he be his workshopping thing and it'd be like yeah Pandora yeah. I'll use unobtainium. Mm-hmm. I heard some guys in the lab say that. That sounds cool to me. Like that, that's the kind of shit that he would go through to do this. Not just like pick a thing out of a hat and be like, that's fine. Right. The only thing he did that with is uh, papyrus, apparently. That's the one thing that he got lazy on. Right. <laughs> but even then, now he has a whole new font for the sequels. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, it's it's funny too. Like people loved with James Cameron, one of the films they loved him his was Aliens, and then I always wanted him. Oh, I wish we'd done another. Well, here you are. Yeah. And you actually, <laughs> yes. you actually, yeah. you actually get, you actually get reverse Aliens here, um, where you're rooting for you're rooting Aliens, the Colonial Marines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is interesting about this, in, this picture, and this is something you mentioned about the the, the 
you know, things aren't political. I just didn't know better at the time or whatever. But it's like, this felt to me like sort of a turning point in terms of discourse, or you had a film that was being tagged as specifically left wing, because it was arguing that people shouldn't like commit genocide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's, and I do think that's unfortunately, you know, or the Bush administration, we started seeing certain social norms that became divisive political wedge issues, like torture, torture bad, for example. Use an obvious example. Yeah. Um, I think that matches with like the fact that the script is still from the '90s, and yeah. it's it's going with this whole you know, save the rainforest thing, which was a much bigger deal in the '90s yeah. than it was in yeah. the '20s. It's similar that to was like back when the villains were just trying to destroy the environment, and as like opposed to the you know wanting to kill the world to save the environment this is a much better movie obviously but it feels it's similar to like glass and how that script felt like something from 2000 as opposed to 20 whatever 20 what 19 um when Shyamalan's like yeah people still have the same (laughs) thoughts about superheroes and stuff nothing's changed what's a a comic book convention (laughs) nothing's changed in 20 years when it comes to (laughs) comics and people's regard for them (laughs) and and I say this as as a fan of this picture but Alita certainly feels like a script that was very much written in 1995 and never rewritten so that's the Um, thing that's the thing I knew with this as far as getting back to that first question as far as when did I first hear about Avatar I always remember after Titanic he was juggling between doing a movie called Battle Angel and, a yeah. movie, mm-hmm. and and whatever yeah. this was, and obviously he made this choice. But that, I was always curious, like, well, what was Battle Angel going to be? And then he finally did it. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez and that that made me happy. Did that uh, become Dark Angel? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, no. I mean, uh, in terms of various pieces, yeah, never. At the yeah. time, that's yeah. Yep. That's mm-hmm. uh, um, and this is obviously, you know, what is a, a, a what's the term? Chekhov's gun or whatever. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So check off some mech. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, what a weird kaiju image this is, by the way. I mean, it looks like King Kong hanging out with Fay Ray. <laughs> um anyway, this random thought. Um Well, let's talk about this cast a little bit. Uh, because we've gotten into this movie, we've introduced all the main characters at this point. Uh Sam Worthington. Australian, a nobody at this point, living in his car, I believe, actually. Um, He was basically plucked from obscurity because he was cheap. Um, Obviously, he auditioned and he beat out others that were in a similar position. But uh, the things that people know already, Matt Damon famously turned down this role, as well as 10% of the profits that would have come with it. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) He wouldn't have had to hawk crypto. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> Wow. Come on, that's, Matt. Fortune favors the bold. That's a not at that point, apparently. But that's that was the big one. Uh the studio wanted Jake Gyllenhaal. They wanted Damon too. They wanted one of those guys, but Gyllenhaal was the other one that they wanted. Um Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, and Chris Pine all auditioned. Channing Tatum auditioned. Uh didn't get it, obviously. Hayden would have given you about at this time would have gave given you about the same as Worthington. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think the movie changes at all. <laughs> I I am curious if I, I mean Gyllenhaal makes it weirder um, by default. Uh, Damon p- probably works really well here. <laughs> he really gives mm-hmm. this, this like energy that is like just right for this. I don't know if the movie suddenly like becomes 
starkly different, but I do think there's something there. I can see why. But I don't think pine works. He's too, I don't think he has too much personality. I, I don't think any of the Chris's work. <laughs> I don't think he fits the like I'm playing two sides portion of that. I don't know. Like he has to go in one direction or the other. And I um I, don't know if I think it, you know, and I'm, you're right, Pine would have been, you know, as much of a nobody, you know, it's I love Chris but Pine, I, but I don't think he works here. Well, I think you almost need someone that's a total blank slate. That's the point. Oh, <laughs> and the character is also somewhat of a insert, you know, self-insertion blank slate for the audience, in the same way that, quite frankly, Bella Swan was in the Twilight Pictures, where they're enough of a you know, blank slate that every viewer can theoretically imagine themselves as that character. Taylor Kitsch was too big at this time to get. Dear God. Uh, um, and the irony is that Worthington basically stole the show in Terminator uh, Salvation. Wait, so Salvation? Salvation, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few months earlier. It's the more interesting and, part in a yeah, bad movie. And it's, <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, even people like me that did not like mm-hmm. the movie made a point to say, he's terrific. Who is this guy? I, I wouldn't oh. say that I was like going home being like, this Worthington's got it. But I, you know, I... What always bugged me about that movie is that movie existed as a story about that character, and then Christian Bale was signed on. It's like, well, let's make John Connor a bigger deal yeah. than he was, and it's like, wow, this really fucked the movie um, over. <laughs> like, well, because they wanted just... Christian Bale for that character, and Christian Bale's like, what if I was John Connor or something, right? <laughs> and Warner Brothers is like, well, you're Batman, so we need to construct, we need to rewrite the entire script to make you half of the movie now, as opposed yeah. to what seemed way more interesting to me as far as him being this kind of that original plot was interesting, character. yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah. That's a movie. I'm. I, I haven't. And somehow, director Mick G didn't save it. <laughs> I've only seen that movie a few times because I I don't like it. But every time I watch it, it's like, if this hadn't been a Terminator movie, this probably would have been pretty good. Because there are points where it's like it it's. Too. Oh yeah, it's a very Yelchin, it's a pretty yeah, well Yel- acted. Yelchin innocent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. always. There's one really um, goofy scene where like. They're facing one direction and there's nothing going on. Then they turn around like a giant fucking flying ship comes out. It's like, you didn't hear that coming? Like, whatever. (laughs) And these weird visuals in the plants, it's like a fucking optical illusion just for fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, speaking of this, speaking of all this stuff in Avatar right now, um, what kills me is that none of this is here. (laughs) Like every time I think about this, that like they are fully giving performances, they're acting and everything. And everything here is fake. (laughs) Nothing is real. And yet it's so like, I'm so into what's happening. It's crazy. Yeah. That's the thing that impressed it more than the, the blue people and the creatures. It's like the landscapes are like, I feel like I could touch them and I can't. Um, and I think, you know, without getting into too many details for the sequel, I think that's something that Cameron tries with the high frame rate that he uses. Where he almost, you know, he, there there are scenes in that film that feel like you're in a virtual reality simulation. Yeah. I think a high frame rate reach out and high frame rate would be, be- beneficial for the 3D aspect. Uh, yes. Would improve 3D more so than um, just looking cooler as a 2D image. But I was like, when I was hearing about the fr- high frame rate, I'm like, I'm betting that's for the benefit of the 3D more. So oh, than... absolutely. Did either of you see the re-release of this when it came out? Yes, I did. You did. No. So they. You know, it was remastered in 4K and everything, but he also incorporated more HFR uh, for that for that release. Mm-hmm. Um, I have notably not been a fan of HFR movies. It just 
like Gemini Man got me close. <laughs> so Gemini like, Ang- Man was interesting. Ang- yeah. Ang Lee's really trying hard to win me over with this stuff. Um, but it just uh, did you see Billy Lynn? I saw Billy Lynn as well. Yeah. Um, that was the one that I really enjoyed, but the high frame rate baked, on that didn't look good though. That was baked baked into the notion that he's disoriented and slightly off kilter the entire picture. Yeah. So I just you know, he's, he's you know, the high frame rate was basically a giant representation for PTSD. That being said, I thought it was fascinating to watch. I, I agree that there's an interest I have in it. It just still doesn't yeah. like it doesn't connect me to the movie more is my issue. It feels like it pulls. It yeah. I, I'm never not aware that I'm watching something with yeah. it, which is and, what I, which know, is the opposite of what I think it's trying to do. You know, when I'm, the, t- you know, I'm taking my two younger kids to see the sequel on Saturday and I specifically opted for a conventional 3d screening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is if it, Ethan is it post game walk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, what I was going to add is that the less said about the hobbits, the better, as far as the HFR goes, because I don't think that works at all. Nobody yeah, like no, yeah, that yeah. was that was like BBC 1970s. Yeah, yeah which to be fair, shame. I only saw the first one in high frame because they did. Obviously, I, the studio realized the reaction was bad, so they screened the sequels for press and regular. I saw the first one in HFR and didn't like it. Saw it the second time, the same, the first movie, the second time in regular. I was like, well, it was better. So okay with the movie, <laughs> but then so then I was like, okay, well I'm not going to do that again. But it was the only option I had when the second one came. I was like, fuck, I gotta go see it this way. I'm <laughs> so fine. Third one, I think I finally got away from it. Third one, they finally showed like an IMAX screening without it. Mm. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> my, my feeling. Coincidentally, you know, it's ten, the one I like the least, but fine, whatever. Not fair. <laughs> so. You know, 10 years ago, I was like, oh God, I do not want every movie I see to look like this. Mm-hmm. 10 years later, it's like, I still feel that way, but it's. Again, I wouldn't want to live there, but it's nice to visit once in a while. It's I, worn me down a bit, a bit. But the but the what I was going to bring up with this movie, with Avatar, not the sequel, is that the incorporation of HFR in certain scenes, not all the scenes, but certain scenes, yeah. action generally, it does. It got it got me the closest to being like, okay, I get, I get this. Like this is working for me as far as it's making the action feel more visceral, which is for something like this what's desired, and I appreciated that. I don't mind with like an Ang Lee messing around with it, trying to figure it out. And if he figures it out or like a Cameron does, that's great. But I don't want my old films playing in a high frame rate. I don't that's want everything. Fair. Yeah. You know, like I don't think everything's made for a high frame rate. It's it's um, funny because like I love Life of Pi. I think that is a really great movie. I really mm-hmm. like what Ang Lee did there. And I'm I'm convinced that if he had it in HFR, I wouldn't have liked it nearly as much as I did. I feel like that would have like taken away the emotional connection I get when I watch that movie. Um, mm-hmm. Even though it's in 3D, it's complete with the scene where like fish go beyond the frame of the fucking widescreen. It's like, that's a little gimmicky. But like, <laughs> the rest of the movie works so much for me. Hey, right. work for G-Force. Yeah, and RIP Irfan Khan. <laughs> Okay, so now we get the best character in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Without, what is, what is she should have won a fucking Oscar for this one. This is uh, she's 32 really good minutes. In this. She's why the movie Great. works emotionally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's simple as that. I mean, I mean wanna... not Worthington? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's it's it's, you the, know, it's, it's, the, it's the scene that everybody excerpts from, you know, the behind the scenes footage when she's lashing out at him. Yep. But it, it's such a marvelous piece of acting. And I do wish she had gotten more credit, you know, 13 years ago. 
Well, it's what throws me again where people want to say, like, you know, I hated the story and all the characters suck. And it's like, if there's one thing Cameron's proven is that he's really great making strong female characters. And she Mm -hmm. is certainly the one that you walk away from as far as this is a really solid character in this movie to be like, remember beyond the villain. Uh, Yeah. And it's it's this weird, like, it's not even culture amnesia. It's just more like, this guy's just doing too good. So I need to like, be skeptical about something and i this is what right. i've chosen <laughs> um i mean there's in i mean the the backlash to this film started like in the first month so it wasn't like a, a long stewing thing and you know at the time i wrote about it and like you know you know blockbuster backlash whenever a film becomes exceptionally successful there's always like one dumb reason why it was successful the Dark Knight was only successful because Heath Ledger, because Heath Ledger died, yada, yada, yada. Avatar was only successful because of the 3D. Jurassic Park was only successful because of the dinosaurs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, or Sixth Sense only because of the twist. And it's always bullshit because if it was only those things, then those elements wouldn't have mattered almost. It's it's um, the weakest possible argument. Gotta keep going back it's, to the theater always, and seeing that twist again. It's this woulda, <laughs> it's this woulda coulda shoulda logic that I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It, it's like if they took this thing out, well, if they took that out, that's not the movie you watch. Yeah, like, exactly. It doesn't, well, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. If you it's take like when, everything out that makes it good, it won't be good anymore. Yeah, you, okay? you, you solve the problem. Yeah, you remove the things that make the movie. <laughs> the movie. Congratulations <laughs> on that. Congrats. Solving that one. It's like when when Boyhood came out and it's like, well, if they didn't make it over all these years, who would have cared? It's like, well, that's not the movie though. They did make it over all these years that's the that's part of the accomplishment it's, right yeah, yeah. The, it's i don't understand what that what that's supposed to mean to me um like, or I, like I, a film I, that oh you know it only works because the cast well somebody had to cast them. yeah like, what, what, what <laughs> was a the good movie? sense to pick these <laughs> actors so cast thought, had so to show thought, up. You know what? there should be people on screen you're right oscars like yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> um you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I even talking about the second film, you know, it obviously, you know, you can argue that, oh, it's an audiovisual blah, blah, blah. And that's a huge part of its appeal. Well, yeah, that's that's the whole point. Yeah, it's allowed to be that. It's a flex. Well, it's, and, you you're know, seeing a movie, movies are visual, <laughs> especially at a time when theatrical is you know under attack. And frankly, a lot of tentpole films feel and look smaller than they used to. Well, look at this. It's not in 235. Well, because this is the IMAX uh, aspect ratio. Well, yeah, but I mean, Uh, when you saw it in regular conventional mm -hmm. 3D, I think it was 235. Was it 235? I believe so. I I don't know. Um, Aliens was in 185. Um, Yes. I think just the way Um, visual effects work, I don't think you can do. I don't know. Yeah, I I know. Like, I know he generally uses Super 35, so he can. I I could be mistaken. I, I know True Lies was Super 35. Um. I think Terminator 2 was too. Um, but I am curious, you know, because I only saw Avatar once in theaters and it was an IMAX, I've actually never seen the film in 235. <laughs> because every time I watch it, it's either, you know, the one time it was cropped for TV on an airplane, which doesn't really count, or I'm watching it on Blu-ray or here where it's the IMAX ratio. Um, which I would argue is a preferred way to watch it anyway, but I digress. Yeah. Um, Sorry, you were saying. I from what I can tell, it's a one eight five movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you need to make the the Navi look as big as they are. Yeah, that that'd be my main selling point of that. Yeah. It's like we have how do you how do you show nine foot cat creatures walking around next to people? We can shoot in one one eighty five. That's how. And it's it's because 
they spend so much of the movie just interacting with each other. I sometimes forget how freaking tall they are. Yeah. Um. Well, also, Scott, you're talking about the backlash stuff. Like, I, I going back to the um, one of the things is like it's very, it's, it's earnest. Um, yeah. And people love their snarkiness nowadays. And I back to the Landau interview I was listening to today. He said that people go into making movies like too plot focused and not thematic focused enough. Mm-hmm. And he's They're like, script when, watchers. And he's like, when people, he's like, they need, you know, plot needs to be there, but like you need to convey a theme to people in marketing, in the, in the movie. And that's what people enjoy the experience. He's like, you know, he was talking about like Top Gun Maverick. He was like, you know, the spectacle is one thing, but I think it's the themes and stuff of the movie that keep people going back and making that um, such a hit movie. And that's what people, that's what they lack nowadays is a strong theme sticking to it. And, you know, they're, they're just too plot focused. Well, it's plot it's focused and, it's... and the, the flavoring on top of it's very ephemeral. It's all, you know, it's quips mm-hmm. and it's easy ideas that don't, track beyond what Cameron's essentially saying about like what does it mean to be an adult that has responsibilities <laughs> like it's like he's, he's very much right about that like the things that they're trying to connect you to is like hey uh, Paul Rudd has some kind of problem that he might be able to solve his Ant-Man that you will forget about immediately afterward like there's, right. there's nothing there's no meaning there's no weight behind these things like even the Spider-Man movies it's like Oh, will he be able to get out of high school and have a girlfriend still? Like, okay. Like, I mean, it'll be like, oh, look, I'm a blue. Oh, my pee is green. This is crazy, right? Because it, like, is it's, it's green? There's this. I don't, there's I, this. There's a clear earnestness that James Cameron really likes to ride on, and yes, that can be very corny at times, but also, it's that's why you of, like Terminator Two. There, yeah, that's why that's, you like that's, Aliens. There's, there's a lot of movies that hold up. 70 years later because of that kind of earnestness compared to movies today that will not hold up because they lack that kind of earnestness. I'm kind of sh- is it, I mean, I is Vin Diesel supposed to be in one of the later Avatar movies? It, I, he's he's all of the whales in this one. Um, oh, I, that makes sense. I have, we have no idea beyond the fact that he was in on set at some point. That what the he, only reason I ask is because they both remind me of people that come off visually and physically as, you know, macho dudes and er, but they're just such fucking, and I say this as a compliment, super sincere nerds. Yeah. How about Cameron and Diesel? Heart. Diesel. Yeah, no, Diesel yeah. is a perfect fit. Well, for why I are people loving more... the fast movies? Why exactly. do they keep going? They have <laughs> themes. They have I mean, earnestness. You know, they got more popular when they got relentlessly, unapologetically cheesy. I mean, Furious Seven almost breaks the fourth wall, but it works. Yeah, I um, nine F nine does that. <laughs> no, I was referring to it. Never mind. <laughs> no, I just meant the, the Paul Walker thing. Oh, okay, I thought you meant more like the Ty- Tyrese being like, "Are we invincible?" Oh yeah, that doesn't work. That's a different conversation. I think it does work, honestly. But nah, fine. fair enough. Uh, I will yeah. say it's telling that you know how I feel about F9 that like the scene where they go into space is, is the most sincere, emotionally moving part of the that's movie. That's why I think the Tyree stuff works. Yeah. It's yeah. That, but regardless, that's fair. Um, I, I, I like at night, how everything's bioluminescent. It's like, it's just like, all of this looks great. Mm-hmm. I just want just watching them take steps. Like we're at a point in this movie now where there's not going to be a whole lot of action for a good portion of it. It's just going to be all. But it's discovery. It's It's great. Exactly. It's all discovery. It's all this world building that we're going to see for like the next hour of this movie. And I am completely enthralled by it. Yeah. No, it's it's it. it, I don't know. It just speaks so well 
to things and you're just like it feels like it gives you stuff you've never seen before but it's familiar enough that you know it's something like it is similar to um but like the horses they're things like that and it's yeah it's they're not they're not like playing the audience for dummies but it's it's relatable um it is i, guess. I mean it, it's <laughs> it's not play. that's exactly what it's not trying to do like what it's trying right. what it wants to do is say hey this is neat right let's like have let's just have a good time watching this and enjoying everything on screen. we don't need to make a joke to make you feel like you need to laugh at this point. exactly let's yeah. just have a good time here because hey you've not seen this before oh my god the story's familiar have you ever seen a world built from the ground up yeah <laughs> like here here's one here's a new one of those <laughs> and that that's what gets me about decrying the idea of getting sequels where it's like what do you think the story is going to be the exact they, they've already done the origin like that what shouldn't you be more excited that it won't be this story it'll be something you have no idea what mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, in a world that you've only seen a piece of <laughs> why do i want not why do i want less movie <laughs> it feels right. like this is a weird argument it's like why, why do i need less movie well and, it's actually you know, a good distillation of what i'm always whining about in terms of critics that seem to be sharp you know they'd seem to be harsher against just movie movies than they do quote-unquote franchise films that haven't been somewhat pre-digested yeah i mean we got yeah. spider-man 8 and batman 9 in the past year like is it that is it wrong to get avatar 2 like, right. yeah exactly based, based off of nothing <laughs> something i can't call the shots as to where it's going that's exciting to me like but they all want stuff that's preordained they get stuff that uh you know they have comic books to reference on they know there's a phase eight coming or something like that and all that there's all the safety net and like you take like the star wars movies nothing's been set after the sequel trilogy and we know where everything eventually lands so there's that so they don't even have to build strong endings to any of these things because we know where the story goes Scott, to get back to a point from earlier, the 2D showings of Avatar were shown in 235 back in, in theaters. Fair enough. Just to point that out. They, they, oh. Cameron had a lot some, of ideas of mixing things up when it came to the action ratios. Something that you mentioned that I think is worth pointing out again is that, and every time I watch this film, I'm impressed by it. It's not an action movie. No. There's actually very mm-hmm. little conventional action-adventure set pieces. No. There's yeah. a little bit of violence here and there. There's some animal peril frankly but the big action finale lasts about 20 minutes at the end of a two and a half hour movie yeah, it, has, it has more in tune to like a like a brave heart or something yes yeah. it it's an epic it's an epic yeah. it's a, it's a and, adventure epic with some fantasy and sci-fi thrown in and tech. You know, if, yeah if anything right, yeah. and i'm sure this is not accidental structurally it's very similar to titanic oh yeah oh th- yeah he, his structures are Except him and Billy Zane join forces. In the end. <laughs> you can yeah. you can you can trace this in a number of his movies. It's a, it's like a slowish start, a giant build in the middle to explore what's going on in this world and everything, and develop you and throw you into these characters, and then like an epic, you know, a, a big a, a grand finale where it really yeah. just delivers I mean, all the all the front as far as is, what else can we do with the spectacle. And I think this is one of the reasons why his films are as successful as they are is that he is sort of a master of the third act. Yeah. In a way that even a lot of his peers, you know, I mean, discourse notwithstanding, I think Joss Whedon 
used to be very good at that. I mean, there's a, you know, that's why the Avengers was as successful as it was. Because he lets you sit with this thing for a while yeah. and let you, regardless if you like the story or not, you're absorbed by what's taking place yeah. enough to care by the end of this thing. So it's an emotionally draining experience. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Buffy season finales were almost all bangers. Yeah. Um, And Firefly or the Serenity, the movie, that's yeah. a spectacular third act. Um, um, T two was obviously an amazing third. Like no, aliens, yes, he's he's, he's amazing. Yeah, ending yeah. his films, you know, you know, and he and he has everything at his disposal as far as he knows what he wants to get out of people. That's why you have great scores in these movies as far as turning on a dime when it comes to you need the emotions to be here at this point. I don't think Avatar is the best score, but James Horner is certainly doing his damnedest to make you feel something when you're getting to all the animals coming together and flying at these helicopters. <laughs> it's the work is the work is there yeah and you know just for a random example what i always find interesting about Chris, christopher nolan pictures is a lot of his in my opinion anyway tend to peak in the second act um and that's not necessarily a criticism because partially because i for example the dark light i like how unconventional the third act is but in terms of the, the hard charging crowd pleasing stuff that often happens in the middle of the movie because he, he makes like emotional parabolas like that, yes. those are his movies like he he wants you to get to a fever pitch in the action before driving you down and down and down back into character so you can end on a, on a more personal note that said i think tenet will age very well i'll just put it that way i think that yeah. movie is fascinating as far as what it's trying to accomplish so. when you've got subtitles it already has <laughs> <laughs> that movie, I, there's so many factors about that but like the final set piece intended is i think incredible Dude, there's some impressive there's some impressive stuff in there there's a like lot. action set, like they're unique action sequences and yeah um it is i am i imagine and again i i have mixed feelings on tenet that's no secret but i imagine we're gonna see a shit ton of tenet was good actually essays dropping next july Probably. Oh, yeah. And, and they, and the, when the years to come, when, you know, we're looking yeah. back at all of his filmography, there's just it as if you take everything away from it involving like people's thoughts on note or what have you, just look at it like from an action perspective. There is not a many a movie that are, is like <laughs> which is why it only grows on me every time I watch it. Like it's it I think it's pretty fascinating. Anyway, and that's one that, you know, my film <laughs> my feelings notwithstanding. I love the first act of Tenet. That's my favorite of Fair. You know, um Um, now is this refresh memory? Is that CCH powder? Or am I? Are you behind us? I mean, she's you know she's wearing that big red thing. Uh, am I am I behind you? Are they in the trees already? They're, They're in the, in the trees, trees again in their blank their their uh, their hammocks. <laughs> okay. Are they kumbayaing or are they already past that? They're tempur hammocks. They're, they're getting in their their hammocks to go to sleep. I think I'm about thirty seconds behind you. Hold on. Okay. A second. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, he's so about, to, but yes, he's about like, to wake up. But yeah, they, yeah, that's where like he's gotten his hammock thing and he's got to go to sleep and mm-hmm. yeah. And white. But yes, we and... just yes we just passed CCH Pounder. Like she was, she tested, she like mm-hmm. grabbed his blood and everything and all that. That's not it's CCH Pounder. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the, the built-in explanation point. And you got to do that. Um, uh, more of this speaking cast, of which, more of this way. cast, real quick. Um, CCH Pounder, West Studi, Laz Alonso. Those mm-hmm. are all those are all set. <laughs> like it, we can talk about the notion of tribalism and what have you but um for zoe saldana 
um what's her name uh queeranka kilcher from the new world she was pocahontas in the new world terrence malick's film mm-hmm. uh she was okay. considered uh for a good while mainly because Cameron just saw the new world like this. We need to have her. Like that was his thought. <laughs> uh, might have been a bit too on the nose as far as yeah. trying to get you know an American character to play this character. Probably didn't help. Um, I know uh, Eugene Kim from Lost. She was in like oh. the test, she was in the test footage uh, for for the tier, the Teary character. I don't know if that was a just like a thing that they were working on. That's or stunning. She whatnot. never went past. I mean, she's done other things, surely, but like Lost was it. Like mm-hmm. I thought she had star power in her, but so did James Cameron, apparently. Uh Brie Larson auditioned for something. Given that there's not a lot of female characters in the movie, I don't know what it would be for in her age at the time? but she's pretty young at the time too. So mm-hmm. I I don't know what. Maybe just another Navi character or something in the film. Ivani but... Ribsy's character. Yeah, Ruby yeah, Ruby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh with Weaver, uh Jodie Foster and Jamie Lee Curtis were other ideas. Because oh. oh, okay. Cam- Cameron thought it's too easy if I get Weaver, <laughs> but then he settled on <laughs> Weaver anyway. <laughs> well, he'd done Jamie Lee Curtis before too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he settled on Weaver. By the way, all of her cigarettes CG, every single one. Of course. Um, and we Julie and Juliet Lewis. <laughs> we should, uh, uh, you know, you got these character acts. You got Giovanni Ribisi. You have Joel David Moore is such a curious choice to me because <laughs> it's like I don't like I don't know if he just saw something big in this guy like he thought is like this is gonna be the next comedic all star or something and he's like we need this guy we need to get Joel David Moore in here art school confidential but it's like him and Rubisi just feel like those are fun choices just because they seem so different and outside the mm-hmm. box uh, even though Rubisi like makes sense for a kind of corporate guy like this it's still like he's Rubisi he's gonna put a little mm-hmm. he's gonna put a little mustard on the roll. Um, but um, this is where we talk about Dilip Rao, who has one of the most astounding runs for like an actor, where he has this "Drag Me to Hell" and Inception. Yeah, he's in, like, it's like he's in these. Three, I'm working with the best three auteur-driven films that like cast him in key roles, and he gets off, and he's come out of nowhere um, and, and does these back to back to back. And then just you know goes out back you know does whatever like he, like he has very he has almost no other credits he has like two random movies in 2014 2015 and now he's in all the Avatar sequels uh, he has yeah a couple TV what... credits he was on Jeopardy apparently but that's it like he's got nothing else <laughs> Joel David Moore I'll give you this like he's he's fine as a human stuff but as a Navi he's ter- outstanding like he's got a voice that goes with a cartoon character very easily. I could agree there. So I so I would say that's probably was a lot of his appeal. Like, well, and he can act easily as a human. So I, I would think I think his he's got a very distinct voice that would work well with a Navi. Yeah, it's it, the way that they have these Navi crafted to like resemble the because it's their DNA, right? Yeah, so yeah. Like look like them. It's weirdly trippy. And yeah, more fits, and also because more is like a gangly nerdy guy, quote unquote, versus Sam Worthington, who's you know a he's got a good arc of his jealousy on Sam Worthington and trying to and having to overcome it. It's a good arc as far as yeah, that works. It's just it's like it's never not funny to watch him make like grimacing faces as Jake gets all the attention. Oh yeah, he's sitting there being like, I studied for years reading Navi language. (laughs) Right, (laughs) I'm not gonna be with the chief and the daughter. What? Whoa. That's in the script too. Lol, they wrote that down. Um, all the animals that aren't Navi have uh, six arms. That's another fun thing to point out. 
This is where he's getting it on with the horse. Linking. That's the other thing, too. Like, all the thought that goes into how these creatures and Navi and everything connect to the world, I find fascinating. Yeah. That's such an, a, a really interesting approach well, to me as far as how to how to literally you know, they're literally connecting to nature. <laughs> well, no, it's it's very uh, evolution focused that like they all came from something and evolved into certain ways on this planet and go uh-huh. together just like, you know, it's a sort of like similar thing to like Earth and, and stuff with where people evolve from different things or go different ways. Um, definitely. It makes sense that all these things have this and there's a connection to the to the trees and everything like that, um, which is quite amusing and fascinating and just like, how far can it go? What else is here? Which is something I look forward to in these preceding sequels because like that's clearly the stuff Cameron, just like Ridley Scott's all into robots now. Like Cameron just seems interested in like, how do I keep finding ways to like bring sci-fi out of the fantasy and <laughs> and dig into like what it means to literally connected nature and like how does the soul correspond to this and yet still like deliver that in like scientific terms and what like and like try to log that in some right you you know it's funny you mentioned because like i when i watched it this last time i was thinking about how not too far dissimilar uh prometheus is from this avatar in terms of director's explorations on life and and the way and what people are seeking or whatever like there's a a study here of the navi and we're learning about where they came from and how that works and then like prometheus is about finding your creator going and seeing um it's more uh prometheus is more not on the screen thoughts about that kind of stuff but it's there um it's a little more on the nose here but i I kind of feel like they have there's some there's something covenant's also very on the nose about it yeah there's something linking cameron and ridley scott's thoughts going in here they make completely different movies but but um, i'd argue it's not a coincidence that these auteurs and there's others we can name also mm -hmm. they are doing this at a stage in their life where they've already accomplished everything they need to accomplish (laughs) like right so like what else can we do well we can make things that reflect on the emotional states that we have the things that we're interested in and Mm -hmm. uh broader sense which is you know goes in line with scorsese and spielberg and lucas like they yeah. <laughs> like they've they've done the thing like they they got the you know the stuff that made them a name out of the way now they can just do what they want to which what would you want to do if you're a literal creator a filmmaker an artist you want to mm-hmm. dive into like these themes that you've clearly explored in your other films and like a more right a more yeah, emotional this scene, way. This, yeah. uh, this stuff's so cool. Yeah, the floating mountain, the Hallelujah Mountains, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. And it's great when you go to the theme park too. They have them floating. I that's a thing I'd really like to see. You can't walk on them though. But I remember watching like some behind this or like some you know video that went into like them wanting to like basically make them real. Like obviously not real, but like they wanted to like find a way where it didn't look you know stupid <laughs> like yeah. they, and they found some uh, you know Jane taking not taking James Cameron for granted it's like yeah we so we invented ways to make that work essentially <laughs> like, not just cheat it that's the thing with Cameron is like his perfectionism is so welcome like it's like you're only seeing something here because it was finally right yeah like it was never like for his movies, like it was never like, oh well, we had to hurry up and finish and get it done. I'm sure there's stuff that they still like to fix, but everything's ready for presentation. 
it, it's ready because if it's you. not ready, Cameron will know about it and he'll take you to task for it. He is he is a mm-hmm. he is a director where he, you know there are some directors that just you know they'll they'll let the crew guys they'll let the other craftsmen do the thing that they need to do because that's what they're hired to do. Cameron knows how this stuff works. He is he he may not be able to do visual effects as well as the visual effects artists, but it, he's he knows how to have. He knows that what conversation. he wants though, and he knows how yeah. he knows how. Yes, he knows what he wants. He knows what he, and he knows when someone's messing up, <laughs> and he will make sure to know that he make sure to let you know that you can't mess up because this needs to be exactly mm-hmm. how I want it to be. And everything's just got purpose and fit. Like yeah, it's a big tree. And it's fun to watch these action sequences and the camera move and the carrot. Like, it's not just it's, like, well, we're doing a thing. It's you're you're with them at times. It's it, not so much voyeuristic, but interactive almost. And yeah, just, yeah look look down, man. I want. I'm like, ooh, it's <laughs> like here, you know. We are an hour into this movie, and I always forget that. Oh yeah, that's right. There are flying beasts in this that have not been introduced yet. Yep. <laughs> we've already got so much it's like what else do we have that's right dragons i mean (laughs) i mean i i've been married for a while so this is irrelevant but when i used to date i always took my uh would be dates on a first date to see giant flying beasts in the forest right (laughs) that's probably why i was single for a while (laughs) so if 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 avatar is one of the best imax experiences 3d what is the best 2d IMAX experience. I want to go Mission to Ghost Impossible. Protocol. Yes. Ghost Protocol. Yep. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, too. I was like, because that movie, that felt 3D without the glasses. But... Oh, man. That's fucking okay. rock. Yeah, go to call. And uh, I mean, Dark Knight. I mean, I mean yeah, there's there's a it, dozen holy shit experiences. Because Dark Knight. Many of them from Nolan. Dark yeah. Knight's introducing the whole let's use IMAX cameras. Right. And, you know, it when the. When the first scene of a movie is here's a shot of a building and a window explodes and that's blowing your mind, like yeah. he's pulling it off, yeah. <laughs> he's doing well, the mean, thing right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like anything, no, like because I mean, Interstellar, Dunkirk, they all like Tenet, they all look fabulous. Oh yeah, they're they're certainly amazing experiences. But yeah, like the idea, like doing that the first time with Dark Knight and just be, like it's not like I have IMAX by me that's one of the biggest in the country so it's like seeing and then you know 2008 yep. when they're still using film yeah. these we, have, we have one of the we we here we have one of the few that has 70 millimeters still there you go yeah so we we still and one of the largest so it's at our state museum that's where i saw tenant the one um, they, they have here it's digital now but they still put it in basically whenever nolan has a film they had to do they had to start <laughs> up they had to yep. start up interstellar like three different times because they couldn't get it right because no one like there weren't enough people that knew how these things work. So they had to like figure it out. So I saw like Ellen Burstyn talking for like three minutes, three times in a row before I got, we got to see the rest of that movie. Wasn't Interstellar <laughs> the one that kind of pushed the limits of the amount of reels that they could yes. use? Cause yeah. Yes. Cause it's long. Yeah. <laughs> it's about as long as this film. Yeah. I think ours had like overheating problems with the projector, like during like the first weekend we didn't, I didn't have it in my screenings, but I had heard something about, or like overheating problems or something with projectors. Chris Nolan breaking theaters. Well, he's giving them a break next year. He's gonna should be watching it on the life. phone. Damn it! <laughs> uh, but are there other like? Because like, yeah, that's not that they're bad, but it's obvious. It's like, yeah, Gross Protocol and The Dark Knight are like amazing examples of doing this thing. I mean, the the five minute sequence in Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen, where they're fighting in the forest, is just 
it's freaking awesome. Yeah, that's good. Rest, shame about the rest of the movie. The rest of the movie. <laughs> Including the other IMAX stuff, because yeah. Michael Bay's editing is so fucking jarring where it's like yeah. back and forth between big scene, little scene in the midst of like pyramids and stuff. And, right. and, he, and he does 235. So it's stupid because you have these giant Transformers and all this fucking land in between them. It's like, what's happening? <laughs> um, that being said, I, I so enjoyed the ridiculous bonkers banana spectacle of Agent Extinction that I kind of wish I had seen it in IMAX just for curiosity. Oh, I, I saw it in IMAX and it looked great. <laughs> he, yeah. The three the 3D is the best thing that happened to him in the Transformers movies because it slows yeah. him down. He can't do the things that he's doing. So like Dark of the Moon, you can actually admire the craft a lot more than you can in Revenge of the Fallen. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I will argue, the caveat that I don't particularly like the first Transformers, I think three and four are the quote-unquote good ones. Bumblebee's the best one. Oh, d- d- yes, of the, d- d- yes. Yeah, and it's 185, where it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this, this is actually one of the examples of where I actually like voiceover narration, because they provide a reason for it at the end. Sure. And it's actually very, somewhat moving. I'd agree. Um, and I, like, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll I'll go as far as to say I don't think Sam Worthington's bad in this movie. Like, it's just oh, he's fine. He's very good. Like, it's as you said, it's a blank slate. So it's like, yeah, yeah I'm not going out of here being like, oh, I want to be Jake Sully when I grow up. But it's like he's got a couple like comedic lines he doesn't deliver quite well. But I, I don't think he's. Eh, awful. It's a long movie. Yeah, the um, yeah the, the I mean this movie's not known for jokes. <laughs> it's yeah. not, no, it's not a, no, it's not a but, really I mean, funny film. <laughs> when I watched it last week, I was like, oh, that could have that could have hit better. But there, also, it, his it, character isn't very bright or sharp witted. Yeah. I I do well, we we just passed over a thing that I do think is pretty funny when he just he's falls not the bright. He down. takes yeah. over the Navi, dude. When he when he <laughs> when he just falls down completely and messes up the whole like grab on the branches and whatnot, and then he just kind of walks it off. Like, yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> that's actually that's that's funny. <laughs> and he's got like good. I think he delivers like gruff lines well. Like mm-hmm. what what he when he when he when it's when he says uh, you got to go where the banshees are. It's like mm-hmm. and then he, he is ura and it's like yeah all right I'm into this. Like he has to climb a bunch of trees and get a dragon. Like great cool stuff. Foreshadowing, way of the water. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes to the goes to the left. Um, let's see, Stephen Lang. Uh, who we haven't seen in a while. Good actor. Uh, Manhunter Stephen Lang. Manhunter Stephen Lang, who does not... Who, <laughs> if he puts man, Manhunter <laughs> Stephen Lang against this Stephen Lang, he's like, are, th- are those the same people? Um, right, yeah. No, he, he looks he looks like a... like Michael Bean couldn't get as jacked for this as Stephen Lang did, so he chose Stephen Lang. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a, lot of, like. con- there's a lot of conflicting opinions, it seems, about what happened with Michael Bean, where it's like, that seems like an obvious go-to for Cameron. He's his guy. He's been in a lot of his movies. He He's done The Abyss where he played the villain before, mm-hmm. so why not? Some have said that he just didn't want to do it because having Weaver and Bean would be like doing Aliens again. That's a weird excuse. Um, some say that Bean just didn't like the script. Um, so just then Cameron just didn't like what Bean was bringing in with like kind of going through the story with him. I don't really know. I don't think I don't know what the exact because I, I don't think Michael Bean's going to be like, yeah, I'll turn down this James yeah. Cameron movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be a dick right. about it, but he, I don't imagine he was in a position to say, no, no, I don't need to do this. So I don't exactly know um, what happened there. But I mean, you got Stephen Lang, who honestly, like, I know I've seen Stephen Lang. Like, I, you know, I know Manhunter and like Tombstone. Um, the hard way. 
but like i mm-hmm. i just i couldn't say before avatar i was like man stephen lang from all of those movies i did you were you guys like wildly aware of stephen lang before avatar happened uh yeah only because i had seen i mean my introduction with to him accidentally was the hard way which is a pretty funny which one's action the hard way? comedy oh is that starring... the the woods one with fox yeah. yes james yeah. woods michael j fox and he plays the serial killer antagonist okay and he's kind of ripped you know especially for a care you know he's, he's not he's not jamie gum let's put it that way um like he's got a good amount of credits here before yeah. avatar for sure like i i just and i just feel like i've missed the lang window <laughs> i'm assuming like every actor on the earth he was in crime story once or twice um and probably miami vice too <laughs> let me look at this because it's probably true he gets no he's in, he's in crime he has 26 yes. episodes of crime story yeah yes everyone is in the crime story 38 episodes aaron I see 38. I see 26. 38. <laughs> was, like, was there a, re- was there a reboot season, of Crime Story? <laughs> season one, season two. Yeah, th- 1986 to 1988, Attorney David Abrams. <laughs> on the wiki version of this, I don't know. 38 of 43 episodes. <laughs> so here's a series regular, Scott. It's been a while. <laughs> I watched it on a whim in college because it was, was on every afternoon. He was on the Equalizer. He did Project X. The the Matthew Broderick monkey movie. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Fair enough. Oh, we just uh, passed. Get, I figured it wasn't get, the Todd. Yeah, I was sure it wasn't the Todd Phillips party movie. We just Gettysburg. passed the ooh uh, moment. What are you kids doing? Get out of my house! That's even great. <laughs> Remember Gettysburg. <laughs> Uh, vaguely. Remember yeah, how they just like there. every now and then made these so, like gods and generals are like, let me just make some Civil War epic and just see if nobody wants goes to see it. Yeah, all right, let's spend some money on that. <laughs> <laughs> What's this for again? I don't know. The South rises again for some bullshit. Whatever. Get Jeff Daniels. Yeah, I guess uh, those <laughs> didn't age very well. <laughs> I'm pretty sure those are the two longest released in theaters mainstream American movies ever. Yeah, that that and gods and generals. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Gods and Generals came out like I think like the same week as like old school and oh. Roger Roger Ebert gave mm. both of them like one star. <laughs> like, <laughs> Speaking of Gettysburg, Avatar. Yeah, that's right. There's dragons. Uh so what was the same as Stephen Lang? Okay, so Stephen Lang is uh Stephen Lang got like super buff <laughs> for this yeah. movie, and it's ridiculous. Um, and he's kind of kept that from the last decade yeah that's like he it's like as if he like wanted to typecast himself like that's what he like tried to do um he did pop up in public enemies like the same summer right yeah it feels like yeah people had movies right to lead into avatar Mm -hmm. so they were like there but like his you know the trail even sells him where he's just such a force as to be right like you know he's not the most complex of villains but he certainly makes he leaves an impression for good reason like he's doing the job and he looks very hard to kill yeah, and they gave him some scars. I always, I always thought that was funny because, of course, at the end of this film, he's very hard to kill. Yeah. Ironically, he's not in the movie hard to kill, though. So yeah. Ah, almost. No. Who found uh, this? Who, who, which Davi climbed up all these rocks and was like, I wonder what's going on behind his waterfall. Oh, look, a land of dragons. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are they going to learn how to train their dragons? No. and you know i mean bad jokes aside that film came out in i believe april of 2010 it was sort of 
one of several hey look this is in 3d now too and because it had you know dragons flying around with a certain vertigo it was somewhat positioned as kind of sort of like avatar why um, i mean when you have it why wouldn't yeah you? exactly <laughs> like, now, of course dreamworks have been doing 3d for ages you know they basically were just kicking ass with this technology way before you know it was quote-unquote mainstream monsters versus aliens exactly baby. that was that was like holy that was an impressive it really experience. was i like seeing i wish the movie was better but whatever I, I like seeing it in a theater because it had a sense of scale that I really. Oh, it was fucking well. huge! Because I saw it in IMAX and sat very close, and it just was massive. Um, and you know the other the other two obviously were Alice in Wonderland and Clash of the Titans. Clash of Titans with Sam Worthington, which yes, with Sam Worthington that was sort of the go to example of just god awful quicky three D conversions. Uh, I'll be fair. I did not see it in 3D. I saw it in 2D because I figured what the you know. Um, I fortunately and, avoided that in uh, in 3D because I did see honestly, it opening. I, I saw I it opening say, day, but uh, I managed to get out of that one. I would still argue that the worst big 3D conversion of that era was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part Two, <laughs> which actually affected my enjoyment of the movie when I saw it at the press screening before opening because it was IMAX 3D, so it looked huge, but it you know. It's not a very colorful movie. <laughs> there's, you know, there's a lot of fog and gray, and it just looked ugly. I had uh, issues with my Fright Night in 3D. Oh god, that's out. another stinker. I didn't like the movie because of that. It was years until I finally rewatched it in 2D. It's like, okay, I can see why this is popular. I remember you not liking that movie and being wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember that was that was the first time where I noticed it was really dark because the theater yeah. just mm -hmm. didn't get how to do it. But I still thought the movie was great. Um, the funniest use of 3D, I still think, is Superman Returns in oh, 2006. God. Oh no, it was take your turn your put your glasses it, on because because. It, it, but what was what was great is for ours at least in the because it's not an IMAX. They had a guy come in before the movie started saying, "All right, everybody got their 3D glasses. Good. So during the movie, there's going to be a small 3D glass. Whenever there's a 3D scene, there's going to be a small image at the bottom of the screen blinking, preceding it to let you know to put your glasses on. So be sure to do that. So when it's doing that, like the sequences it does it in mostly are fine. You know, it's the action sequences, all three of them, and it, okay, cool. Uh, but like the one that it got before was by the end there's just a scene where he's just like flying with Lois or something and it's supposed to be like an emotional drama scene as opposed to an mm -hmm. action scene so the idea of like you're supposed to be in a certain frame of mind but then you're like the little thing comes on the bottom of the screen and you see the audience like Pavlov dog like put the glasses on while you're also feel <laughs> something this it's like <laughs> I'm supposed to take this seriously right now I'm supposed to feel for whatever Lois is going through while we all respond to the 3D side <laughs> Well, I remember one of them, wasn't it, when the, it was the the plane landing on the field, and they yeah. were like, it was mainly just to show the stuff floating in the inside yeah. the plane. Well, that was a movie. God, I'd forgotten that that was partially three D. Um, Scott, yeah, we the, went the, and saw that movie. Opening, we did. Night. We did. It was it was not good. Most people we were like, we were like forgot that movie. So we're like, remember the end credit or the opening credits? That was cool. Yeah, yeah. I like the I remember the the credits got me psyched. Like I was yeah. like, it's because it's like it's doing the thing, but it has like planets and shit thrown at you now too. So it's like, oh, yep. this is this is a fun update. And then the rest, then the other 150 <laughs> minutes played. <laughs> and you're like, I I don't think James Marston's really that bad of a guy. Are they trying like? 
are we supposed to hate him or what are we supposed to um like if you think she made the right choice well not everyone heals as fast as you logan (laughs) his Um, his catchphrase yes (laughs) which is always to be said after a very very long pause before you so it's not a quip anymore and it's just a random statement you're saying down a hallway um and then they uh, journey in the center of the earth was 3d in the summer of 2008 we're still falling good trailer line (laughs) (laughs) that's funny (laughs) which was very unusual at that time that was actually what Hmm. made it noteworthy yeah it was that Um, like spy kids doing its thing but even Spy Kids and yes, you're right. But that was sort of the that was sort of the last of the really old school. Yeah, put the red and blue glasses, cardboard glasses on. Yeah, which is why you know partially why you know a year and a half later I saw Polar Express and you know to quote camera and I shit myself with my mouth wide open. Um, the um, one of the uh, Beowulf, of course, Beowulf did it. Oh, I amazingly, Beowulf. Beowulf was. <laughs> that was a great. That was a, to me a great IMAX experience. Oh, that, yeah. movie, that movie rocked me to the gore with the sound alone. Oh, yeah. in that film. I didn't see that movie until uh, the Blu-ray, but I liked it. Oh god, it was a great. I saw it twice. I like days. A Christmas Carol. Uh, I think it's a solid, solid adaptation. I, um, I, I like that it's scary. Yeah, <laughs> I like that it, it's like it is dark. <laughs> that said, um, I saw Christmas Carol, and they played the like the second trailer for Avatar before Christmas Carol. And it was like, well, okay, I guess we're going to watch this Zemeckis movie now, but that Avatar looks amazing. <laughs> that was my reaction. <laughs> um, I like Carol without the Christmas, but takes place at Christmas. It's wild. It's it's wild in 3D. That was a weird way to see it, for sure. Like, you know, the scene, the scene when the Riddler from Gotham... Uh, uh, tries to reveal what's going on with Carol, and then it's in 3D, and he's mm-hmm. all like, "You did this," and it, that's pretty good. Who's her husband? Who's uh, it's not Moroni. I want to say Wilkinson, but I think I'm. No, it's not Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. No. It's not Moroni. It's someone. Some one of those guys. Hold on, Salvatore. It's not Salvatore Moroni. <laughs> Kyle Chandler. There we go. Oh yes, that mm. makes that's sense. in the Moroni category, right? Those are guys who are like kind of similar. <laughs> um. And then the other two that I'm thinking of, uh, the fifth and sixth Harry Potter films had segments. The end of Harry Potter five, the beginning of Harry Potter six were in 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. The, just the end of six it. Maybe that was the dumbest a choice. 3D ever. <laughs> that was a choice. Mm. It's, it's like a bridge blows up and then it's Harry and, and Dumbledore just hanging out in a cafe. I yeah, no, recall. it's right at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? It's during yeah, that yeah. little month. Oh, God, yeah. And again, the scene's fine. It's a it's a decent movie, but it's like, why the hell is this in 3D? As I recall, um, I saw it, what's six? Death Poop? Is that Order of Phoenix? That is the Half-Blood Prince, which is one of what's... the worst book adaptations of the movies. Mm-hmm. Which one ends with the 3D at the end of the last 30 minutes or whatever? Uh, Death, uh, Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. five. Because the Hollows, those are both just 3D. Um, no, Deadly Hollows Part 1, they were going to have it in 3D, but they canceled it at the last That's minute right, yeah. terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and God blessed them for that. that Jesus, okay. So I actually did see. I watched bits and pieces because it was like in a store of Deathly Hollows one in three D, and it looked like shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> even though it's again, I, even I though it's think, our favorite entry in the series, oh yeah, it's the best of the fucking series. <laughs> it's a um, great movie. It looked glorious in IMAX two D. Thank you. Okay, okay um, so, so, so 
before I keep going off on there. So which one? Sorry, which one's again with the thirty minutes that ends with three D? Which one is that? Uh, Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix. Okay, because that's I got have, the big mm-hmm. wizard battle at the end. It does. Which but... was which was a cheeseburger, fries, uh, Dr Pepper, and some onion rings. That was the Order of the Phoenix. <laughs> Thank you. Good to know. Good. Glad I kept the receipt. I remember I saw that midnight show as you do because they didn't have eight PMs or whatever that they do now, um, and I was too tired <laughs> um, so i so by the time it got to this 3d spectacular i was half asleep while watching that movie uh why was it tired because i'm the one that shows up early and has to save all the seats back in the day and so i was already tired getting into that movie be fair yeah. brandon talked me out of a midnight for part four and we happily enjoyed in a friday evening regular showing of of imax for it, Goblet of Fire. It was a rare one because mm-hmm. I don't generally get tired, especially that. And we one. realized we were old, creepy dudes that yeah. night. We were not, <laughs> not creepy, but we were like, I was like, I feel I was. We were only in our mid twenties, but we were like, I feel really old. I remember. A well, dark it was night. fun watching in this, you know, before you know when back when Cedric you waited Diggory, in line for tickets. <laughs> when Cedric Diggory shows up in the first time in that film, like half the audience gasped. Back to Avatar really quick. Uh, oh, right. That one. I love I love this shot right here when you see, so, you know, you're getting this great montage of Jake Sully, like incorporating himself into the world of the Navi and everything. And then you get this cut, this reality check where he's getting out of his chair and his legs have like deteriorated even more. And it's like, oh, this is really, this is really sad. Those are his real legs. Yeah. There's a, a cost to his, his <laughs> escapism. Um. That's the and only evil. thing. I mean, the the dialogue of these. He's, it's like, is it basic? I guess, but he, you know, he is a jarhead. Like, it's not a guy. Yeah, who's exactly. Full he's of not complex thinking. It's like, I, there's not. I don't have an expectation that he's going to start like reciting. I mean, he's not a. Answer. He's not a Tarantinoing gangster. Well, it, you know, this isn't a Guy Ritchie picture. Uh, um, and I, I and again, you know, and you know, I know we all feel the same way about this, but you know, there's more to screenwriting than just quotable dialogue. And this Quaritch stuff is so good. Like, I feel like in the moment, I don't like, I can't, I just don't see the people watching this being like, this is terrible all the way through. And when this like scenes like this, where it's just like, you know, good actor saying good stuff, (laughs) it just works so well. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to get the Disney Plus show with the prequel of Stephen Stephen Lang's character of how he got that. might be listening. That, that scar in his face. Well, like... I mean, this is why I'm happy that James Cameron is. I mean, do you want to talk about this cultural footprint thing again? It's like yeah. this is part of it, right? It's like he yeah, didn't, he didn't sequelize this thing. He didn't make miniseries. He didn't make comics. Like, it, like there's just there's not a lot of Avatar, so it's not less special. And, and it's, look, you know, and it's at, not like, a cash in legacy sequel. It's we knew there was going to be sequels when it started. He just it's now the time he was able to get it right. Yeah, and, I mean, and you'll have more that'll come sooner because he's done the work already. Like it's you know it is what it is. But well, like, they've done the work and they've got the uh, what do they, they call it assets or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it, yep. it takes less time, it costs less money because assets are now in play. From like talking like computer graphic wise, they're already there in play that they don't have to. They can just explore with those now. They don't have to create them, which is the longer part. And I think, you know, and I, you know, Mia Culpa, I wrote about this for the 10 year anniversary, which is that I think a lot of the stuff that 
we used to somewhat chide the film for post-release in terms of its cultural impact or whatever are now fucking badge of honor yeah and you know it's anything it's it's, it's you know the film you know the sequel's coming out tomorrow night tonight whatever and it's like this this weird it's almost nostalgic for a time when nostalgia wasn't the driving force of pop culture right if that makes any sense. Well, it's because the well, guy lives in a vacuum in New Zealand where he's writing these stories and coming up with ideas yeah. that just excite him. And he's not yeah. thinking about, like, what's going on in the culture today? So when he comes out saying, like, Wonder Woman's not all that, it's not because he doesn't care. It's just like... That's his opinion. That's yeah. what he saw. Yeah. Like, well, I also, I'm assuming he knows with, you know, Battle battle Angels in the works. Like, fuck, they ripped off my movie before I got to make it. Because, I mean, I like them both, but they're the same fucking movie. <laughs> Like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, and he's James Cameron. Like, he can, like, I, I'll listen to what, you know, he he's made the movies to back it up. He's, and he's never been, like, this, or this misogynist, racist person that they want to pay him to be. He's just giving his thoughts as a film creator, as one of the best blockbuster film creators we've ever had. And it's, I think he's earned the right to say the things he has and i think people spin his stuff harder than he's selling it you know well and i also think it's just the difference of how those things are covered you know 20 years ago he would have said that thing in a magazine interview and unless you subscribe to people or entertainment weekly or whatever you wouldn't know about it right the thing too yes the volume is raised a lot louder now when it's and you're but you're Um, missing the it's similar to a lot of directors where when you hear them talking, there's a big difference between when you're reading them. Spike Lee is a great oh, example of that. Yeah. Like Spike Lee, the way people want to read him, it makes it sound like he's just like this angry man. And it's like, yeah. well, for one thing, stop being racist. The other thing, listen to him yeah. talk and li- listen to how much fun he's having living mm-hmm. his life. <laughs> like It's he's, great. He's like, <laughs> he, he, he he's adorable like, little man that you just yes. want to hug. Well, he speaks quieter. People think he's like the, like, he's like screaming. It's like, you know, Spike, yeah. if you ever seen Spike talk, he's not like that. And, also, with Cameron, like, I, I seen that they try to spit, they want the clicks. I get it and stuff. But, like, when it's talking about, like, Cameron says his, his special visual effects are better than Marvel's. So it's like, all you're saying is, man, competent about his movie and standing by it. Like, that, why, why is that bad? Like, you've seen his effects. They are better <laughs> than Marvel's. <laughs> like, why is this news? Like, why is that bad that he's like, it's just like, they, stop asking that question. Like, do you like your movie? I do. Do you think it's better than this one? I do. Ooh, like the confidence. Like I, like I hated when. Uh, what was it? The Transformers when the third one came out, and Michael Bay and them were like, "Yo, the second one." Da da da. Like they started like bashing. It's like, "Yo, stand by your movie. You went and made it." Like, yeah. And you sold it. Like, say, like you know what? It didn't work. This didn't work for people. Or you know, um, we did have problems with that, but I still like the movie or, you know, it was like, a writer strike movie. It was. Yeah. It was. Um, One thing I like about this scene, if I may, this is where he's basically saying, I want to be with you is for all the talk about, you know, white savior, this machismo, that whatever Cameron is so careful in moments like this. Mm-hmm. Where he basically says, look, you know, I did the mating rituals. You know, I'm not going to choose my mate and have her betrothed to me. She has to choose me first. Right. And later in the film, when he gives the big speech to everybody else, he literally walks up and asks permission to speak. Yeah. 
And, you know, whether or not that absolves this film of all of its cultural sins, I don't know. But Cameron is clearly aware of the tropes that he's, you know, he's playing in and trying to at least be aware of them and to circumvent them when he can. I um, I agree with you. It's the kind of thing where I, it's hard for me to hold the movie, hold things against the movie for, you know, still ostensibly choosing to have, you know, the white man joins the tribe and then becomes the best of them all. Um, there is it's hard to say it's organic and how it's able to accomplish that but yes you're right as far as the way it's choosing to approach it it's not it's it's not without like effort to try to justify it better than most of the movies that do something similar yeah including yeah. For, including Ferngully, a bad movie <laughs> just to put that out there <laughs> and what what always you know if we can you know skip to the ending what always strikes me about this in terms of the the this genre is that he literally becomes one of the oppressed so he also makes the choice to become one of them which means he gives up the safety and security and 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 uh, that would come from just being a stranger in a strange land. But and he also speaks up for them against face to face as a human oh. and as a Navi. Because I mean, uh, you know, it's in Dances with Wolves, which is great. I like that movie quite a bit. You know, he goes back to his own people and presumably lives out his life as a, uh, you know, as a quote unquote privileged white guy. Um, Okahanas, he goes off to England. In this, he, you know, as weird as, you know, the only way that Cameron can get away with this is because this is a fantastical situation. You know, it, you're not going to make a movie where, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Cruise decides to become Japanese at the end of The Last Samurai. Uh, in Witness, <laughs> he goes he goes back to the city. Yeah, he goes, <laughs> oh, right, he, right. He, he comes with that commentary. Uh, um, the best Witness commentary there is. But, so I, I do think, and again, whether it's defense or not, it just strikes me as interesting about this film that he, he literally chooses to become entirely one of the oppressed. And I think, to a certain extent, the sequel plays a little bit with the consequences of that. That's, um, yeah, that's fair. Um, it's still, yeah, there's... It's still swallowing the ideas of like, you know, this this guy did think does things better just because he can he's the, he's yeah, the one and he's the one that thought what if we captured the giant dragon uh no one else no, thought i we'll, agree with you there's like things like that where you just can't really argue around it as far as like what the impression is supposed to be like you can try yeah, to make an argument for the idea that well this guy's a i don't know what the what the <laughs> excuse me what the what the disabled community thinks of the movie like this as far as having a person that you know is yeah this is before that was a, water. a Twitter. That was before that. That was before that it was a Twitter issue thing or whatever. Of you have to be a murderer in order to play a murderer in a movie. Oh, um, well, that's what Tom Cruise thought yeah. while making Collateral. He killed six people. Yeah, and I yeah I don't carry out eight contract murders. I, I don't mean in terms of like you need to have a you know person that's paralyzed yeah. from the waist below it, but I mean as far as the depiction of a character like that, what their mindset would be. I don't know what if there's a if this is a if this regard as a positive version of that or a negative version of that, as far as like, oh, you know, he he feels better now because he has his legs again. If that's like a good thing or something like that, but mm-hmm. I I do think um, the movie's concession of, you know, if you're gonna make this guy greater than them, at least he's coming from a place where he's already disadvantaged in some way. Right. Mm-hmm. He's already oh. not wanted by his people. Like that's because uh, you know he's not his brother. Mm-hmm. He's rejected. I mean, he's essentially rejected by the people that 
are the good people. He he's dumb um, and broken, quote unquote, basically. Yeah. Yes. Um he's, and I, I do think, you know, for example, one reason I like the Kung Fu Panda films, obviously one and two more than three, but whatever, is that yeah, he becomes a dragon warrior, but he's not really better than them. He just finds a way to be what they need him to be when he needs to be it, if yeah. that makes sense. He bows just, before the hobbits. Yeah, and it's 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 you know, especially in the second one, which is one reason I like it as much, is it deals with, you know, he at best he is an equal with them, but he's not, you know, he's not a he's not he's not the literal dragon warrior in the sense that he's better than all of them and he's and but you're right. It doesn't. It's the same me. with a lot of chosen one narratives that I think are interesting in their sequels, yeah. where they deal with what it is to be the chosen one. That's why the Matrix yeah. Reloaded is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the ideal ne- example. Neo is even, not the even leader. Empire Strikes he's Back. Just, he's just he's, he's the muscle. He's not the leader yeah, yeah. of anybody. He's just the guy that can get shit done. Um, <laughs> Empire Strike. Harry Potter is that. I mean, Hermione's yeah. the smart one. <laughs> like, there's yeah. not. You know, and one one of the reasons I think the Harry Potter films work as well as they do is that he really doesn't want to be the chosen one, and it causes him nothing but misery. There's no wish fulfillment fantasy there, and I think that's what a lot of the quote unquote Harry Potter ripoffs missed. That you have all these kids that are like, you know, I may think I'm an outcast at school and girls don't talk to me, but I'm actually the secret dark wizard. <gasps> uh, and that's not remotely as engaging as a situation you know, Frodo Baggins that doesn't remotely want to be involved in this, but has to be because circumstances suck. And he suffers terribly for it. Um, is this the one thing that, on that one. Is this the one scene that Korich and uh, Jill David Moore interact? I think so. He's just like, get out of my way. And that's it. That's their scene. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Cypher starts unplugging them from the Matrix. <laughs> Put your pants like in an Avatar this. sequel. Not like this. Put your pants as an Avatar. <laughs> he, no. he's, on the, he's on the next one, <laughs> The Way of Italy. Aaron, he's dead <laughs> I, in real life. I, I watched Chucky. <laughs> he can't be in the movies. Joe Paltaliano in the Chucky's, in the Chucky show? He can't He can't be in the movies. He's no longer alive. Yeah. Don't worry about it right now, Scott. <laughs> I haven't watched season two yet. Don't worry about it. Okay, never mind. I'll pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault for not watching it live. He just punched a paralyzed man. That's not nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he is well, the bad guy. What was he gonna do? Run away? Aaron, he's not. He's not really paralyzed. We just talked about that, so it was okay. He punched a guy faking like he's paralyzed for movie purposes, so he deserved it. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie where as much of an asshole (laughs) as much of an asshole as Giovanni I can never pronounce his name. I apologize. Rubisi Rubisi is he actually is talked into trying a last minute attempt to prevent the genocide. Mm -hmm. The peace was never an option scene. And that to me was such a striking and surprising choice for this character. It would have been just you know easy just to say fuck it blow them all up now. But the fact that yeah. he's talked into trying to prevent that, even if it's for selfish reasons and, and self-interest, it was, for me, the most surprising scene in the movie. I will say this, because I don't want to delve too far into things to come and or speculate too far on where things are. I do think in the midst of the environmentalist stuff going on, so the colonialism aspects of these films, when it comes to the characters in this movie, specifically the human characters, 
I think an overriding theme is that people are stubborn, but they're also inherently good. Uh, and I, I do think that's something that's going to reflect in the overarching story of Avatar, but I'm very curious to see where that goes. Quite possibly. Especially given the whole Cameron wants to take her to Earth in part five thing that's going around. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, if he, but I, I, I'm curious what that means for well, the series. He can't, he can because there were no notes on part four, so he should be able to start part <laughs> five. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it works, yeah. Why wouldn't you brag about having no studio notes on a script? Like, why? Why is that? Like, oh, this guy sucks. Like, huh. Huh. and I, I guess the way I read that is that he wasn't surprised to get notes on two and three because that's part of the process. He yeah. was like, "Holy shit! Did he give me any notes here? Awesome!" You know, uh, talking about the. Back to like the footprint and stuff. Um, the movie, the movie made its money a bit quicker than Titanic. Went up for a lot of Oscars. Did not win the Best Picture or Best Director as you know Titanic did. Um, his divorce settlement made the Hurt Locker um, win. No, just kidding. Which um, deserved but, or not? No, sorry, go ahead. But I'm trying to think. I'm thinking about like Titanic. That was one of the biggest phenomenons I've ever lived through in cinema history. But that was a period of what, like six months, five. Mm -hmm. And and then after it was kind of like, all right, well, that movie's going to be with us forever. You know, that was about it. Like nobody was, nobody talked about Titanic. Well, I didn't have a pop culture filter being the biggest, you know, granted there was no franchise potential there, but like, why is it a thing with Avatar? So what? It made a bunch of money. Make it. We can make a. That's why people make other ones. Is when they make a bunch of money. Like it's so funny. Like, do people want that? Well, obviously they'll be interested because even if it makes half or a third of what the previous one did, it's probably pretty successful. Like, it's just funny to me because like yeah, Titanic was a phenomenon. It did have that soundtrack. Had all the Oscars. Um you know it really had a, a you couldn't escape it um avatar was a bit more quiet kind of it was just just racking in money racking in money racking in money but even titanic disappeared after just a period of like five to six months like what are you supposed to do like there's not like titanic oh. phase three there's not people are too into what's next right now we used to a good a good window for a sequel used to be three years. Now it's and I, I oh, do wonder how too. much of that is the perpetually online making the discourse. Oh yeah, because I would argue that differing quality notwithstanding, that Avatar is not unlike the Jurassic films and the Transformers films, where audiences like them and yeah. they show up for them and we know that because they make a shit ton of money mm -hmm. but the perception is that everybody hates them and nobody likes them because nobody tweets about them and nobody right. makes youtube videos about fan theories and all that bullshit because the people um, who want to talk about them or praise them they decide oh let's unfollow that person and therefore well, it's, also, it's out of their you know most people don't engage in twitter online movie discourse right I mean, what is it like? Ninety percent of the tweets come from like ten percent of the users, or something like that. Yeah, and ten percent of those users have multiple accounts. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's you know the idea that 
you know, at the end of the day, money, you know, they, people like them. We know this because they keep showing up. Yeah. Jurassic World Dominion's the only other film other than Top Gun to make a billion dollars this year. Yep. Um, I'll just note in Avatar's things like beyond just the box office, it also is what, like the second biggest Blu-ray of all time. I yeah. Mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's popular and well-liked, maybe not well-loved, but it is well-liked by every plausible metric. The Rotten Tomato score, the verif- the user score for what that's worth, the IMDb score for what that's worth, Blu-ray sales, DVD sales, box office. Again, there, there's no reason to assume that most people that saw this picture in 2009, even if they didn't adore it, they thought that was a damn good time at the movies. I'm glad I spent my time and money on that. Here's the Oscar scene for Saldana, by the way. Oh, yeah. This oh, yeah. Is- um, it's a scene. My my daughter was watching a um side by side comparison of mm-hmm. sh- shooting the scene and uh, the effects post, and this was the scene they used for it. And I I remember they released that scene like after the Oscar nominations. It was like, where the hell was this three months ago? Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Oscars, if I might slightly digress, the season was weird because. You had Catherine Bigelow, who, of course, is James Cameron's uh, ex-wife, mm-hmm. who had directed a very well-received but somewhat under-the-radar war movie called The Hurt Locker that was a critical darling. And It made next to no money. It wasn't just yeah, it under like the radar. Million dollars. Which is insane to me. And let's talk about that cultural footprint, too, because well, that's yeah, important exactly. here when... It's like um, on, on the one hand, that's a small studio, so like I get it, but also it's a fucking cool action movie, like yeah. beyond just being a prestige drama. Yeah. Like it's like this there's a way where this could have sold and made a ton of money if they had a like, yeah. bigger studio behind it. And but what happened after the nomination process is it got turned into this James Cameron and his weak damsel in distress ex-wife and he's trying to steal her oscar glory and stop her from being the first female to win best director right yeah. after he said several times like look i want to win best picture but i hope she wins best director and i don't want to paint him as overly virtuous whatever i don't care but you know it basically turned what should have been an unmitigated good thing which was her winning best director into this kind of weird save the damsel from the big bully man narrative which drove me fucking nuts back then because neither of them needed our pity or our whatever. Yeah. Um, I they just real quick on the movie here because the, the, the scale of this tree is so like, you see how big the, you see how big like these little helicopters are. Then you look at Korch's ship, which is much bigger than those. This yeah. tree dwarfs the, the giant ship that Quartz yeah. is on. Like it's insane how big this stuff is. So it's like so the idea that like you know people could we could I don't need to see top whatever with the naysayers. The people that are like connecting with this movie, you get why when you have a scene like this where you have, you know, innocent, you know, innocent dwellers of this thing being forced out of their home and the whole fucking thing is blown to pieces. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the stuff that's keeping people coming back to theaters or like feeling something by the end of this because it's it's wrenching. <laughs> like it's 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 yeah. so, I mean it's it's a great way to build to an act where you want to see a giant action sequence take place for retribution against this massive tree that they're just bringing down be- for the sake of you know uh, uh, fuel or whatever unobtainium. <laughs> I mean, and it's a pretty obvious nine eleven parable, but it very works much so in the context of the story. 
Yes, and it's a unlike very a certain other ride. sci-fi sequel that came out several years later, it didn't do two 9-11s concurrently with none of the emotional impact. That would be The Force Awakens, sorry. That still annoys me. See, the fact that I can't think of what you're referring to <laughs> until you yeah, have to yeah. say the movie. <laughs> it's, it's why it's both neither here nor there, but also, yeah, I get it, I guess. I mean, yeah. it's just... It, it, because yes, it does have what Domo Gleason gives a big speech, and then they fire a Death On Star a planet beam we've never seen or know what it is. Like, and... that, yeah, yeah they blow no... up a shit ton of planets that we've never been to before. There's, there's not nearly as much the... impact as the Alderaan scene in the first yeah. movie. <laughs> and concurrently, the Empire sh- or whatever the hell they are, the First Order shows up and just nukes the place that they're all in at the same time, mm-hmm. which would have been enough. <laughs> I mean, because those are the characters that we know, and you know, we don't want them to get their asses kicked. Um. I remember as, I far as, as far as the Oscars go. I remember when they were doing Best Director, right? Because it, I think it, it was it was Barbara Streisand that came out to yep. announce it. I would have been and, fucking hysterical if she announced Quentin Tarantino. But the way she did it, she was like, uh, well, "Yeah, we're going to announce the Best Director here, and who could be the winner? It could be the first woman, the first black man, because Lee Daniels was uh, and the way she said, it. and 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 that was, and then it was end of sentence. It's like oh, there's another three jerk offs over here, I guess. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that was that was the competition that year. I mean, you know, it's it's in the same way that it was very obvious who was winning when they brought out uh, Lucas Spielberg Coppola and, and oh yeah, uh, yeah Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. That being said, again, I deserved or not, it would have been very, very funny to bring Barbara Streisand up there and oh shit, Quentin Tarantino. We well, had that moment recently. We with did. The, uh... It was hilarious. <laughs> it was so funny because, all due respect to all parties, they got what they deserved from trying to pull that crap. Yep. And yeah, Hopkins got that Oscar. I was just thinking about that earlier today, actually. Yeah. That to me is the biggest, because even the wrong, you know, the envelope, that was a human error. That was a genuine fuck up. But this was a planned and calculated emotional manipulation stunt that totally Mm -hmm. backfired. I just, I keep thinking that they kept thinking they they like, they were, they were convinced Chadwick Boseman was going to win. And that, like, right on the other side of some door was like a huge, like, parade full of balloons and stuff. And they'd be like, <laughs> cut the balloons, cut the balloons. Anthony Hopkins. And then it was more, and then it was more because there's no host. So Joaquin Phoenix is standing up, or no, what's, what's your name? Uh, yeah, yeah. Who was there? It was no host. It, it and, was and Hopkins didn't show up. Yeah, because he was like, it was like, he was at home and it was, he was sleeping. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It, was the, it was for some reason, it was Actor Presents Actor that year for whatever. So, yeah, it was Joaquin yeah. Phoenix of all people, someone that's yeah. you know, not known for being an MC of the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> being like, yeah, we're done. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> He's not here. <laughs> but at least you knew it wasn't rigged. So, there you go. Do you remember that Oscars where they they put it all together just to give Anthony Hopkins his like second Oscar? Like they were really <laughs> excited. They're like, "This is what the people need to see." Oh, What's man. wild is how little fanfare The Sun has gotten, which stars Hopkins. Apparently, among it's others. terrible. I, I hear it's not very good, but it's yeah. like you've got the director of the guy that just got Hopkins his second Oscar, and there's like no buzz about this thing whatsoever. <laughs> Yet Hugh Jackman's getting like awards praise and like. Okay, I I don't know what the movie. I haven't seen it. I don't know what the movie's about because the trailer's like a minute and it's very vague. So it's the guy who did the father. The guy did the father. Did the and son. he does the son. Is the next one the Holy Spirit? Is that what? yes? 
That's that's a joke that's as good as the Ferngully thing. Okay. So good job on that one. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no one said that one. That tree just fell down. It's really big. It's now recorded forever. So there you go. I think it just grow another one, right? <laughs> yeah, see when you get CCH pounder pounder upset like this, that's a, mm-hmm. no one's happy. I need that pounder energy from you, CCH. They're watching this in widescreen. This is Why the, can't I watch this is Avatar the beta for the volume? Uh, they're, they're, recor- <laughs> they're recording for the volume, actually. So 360 encompassing. Corey is such a dick about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's holding his coffee in one hand. <laughs> that was a trailer. Not that exact shot, but there was a trailer shot where he's just sipping his coffee where everything's blowing up. Well, he's all, I want to be home for dinner tonight. There's a good shot too of what with like Horner score playing and you got like the horse thing on fire where it's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, to state the obvious, beyond all these special effects and visuals and all that jazz, this is a very very well shot and choreographed picture. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't remotely rest on the visuals. Yeah, I, I will oh, know. No, one hundred percent. It's not just like how many people can we fit in a shot? Look at all these blue people that it they are Interesting angles, movements. It's yeah, yeah. The uh, the movie won three Oscars. It won for art direction, cinematography, and visual effects. Those should all seem obvious, but they that's what happened. <laughs> but uh, specifically, Mauro Fior was the cinematographer on here. He was brought on because of what Cameron saw him do with Anton Fuqua's Tears of the Sun, because he shot oh. that. There is a, a lot of lush jungles in that movie. A movie I don't think is particularly great, but it is a very no. good looking movie, as I recall. Like it really uses the environment well. Um, it's, it's the it's Bruce Willis I... and Monica Bellucci one, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's there also Hartsworth. There's a uh, with Bruce Colin, Willis Farrell, Colin the Farrell, Ar- the Irish equivalent to Monica Bellucci. That was Gregory Hoblet, right? Yeah. Hartswar, I believe to keep our our fallen theme going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I'll look that up to be sure. But yeah, he he brought he brought on Fioro because of his photography and Tears of the Sun, and I get it. I get why that. For, I I haven't seen that movie since I saw it in theaters in two thousand. Three. Does that one but... come after Tears of the Father? <laughs> but I, I, but I do remember the imagery quite well because there's some really cool shots of like Willis and his crew like in the jungles or like coming out of water and stuff. And it's like, yeah, he... Cameron knew what he saw and he got this guy an Oscar for it. So there you go. Mm-hmm. In the extent that it really doesn't matter, I was always a little confused how much the Navi understand about this whole these people are humans in vessels that make them look like Navi type things well the extended edition goes into that a little bit because we get more of what sigourney weaver's school was right so yes i remember that which i do think helps as far as it gives more context to this stuff because yes the movie in this version there's not really and there's not really much given to have us get why the navi for one thing know english really that as well as they do but also yeah get the idea that people this indigenous that have no technology on the scale of what has been done to bring you know, people to this planet it is it's a weird concept to be like so they're not us but they have our bodies <laughs> like that's a, right that's a that's a that's a concept that doesn't just like emerge although it even explains like you know it's got a demon body or whatever it's like i can see them tying it to into their religion in some way but yeah i do think the extended version by having more of 
more of an understanding of what Sigourney Weaver went through and how much time has been spent on Pandora. I think that just that better justifies like why they're so familiar with the stuff that we're that they're they've they're now at this point used to. We haven't talked about Michelle Rodriguez at all, who's in this movie yeah. as well, but um it's the standard thing. He saw James Cameron saw her in girl fight and it's like I want her in my movie. <laughs> like it's that you know, James Cameron brings on a lot of, you know, tough women into his films. Not a hard reach to think, yeah, he'll get Michelle Rodriguez in here. Mm-hmm. And she gave away that her character died before the movie even came out. Yeah. It was sort of a casual, like, yeah, I'm in this movie with its avatar. I show up, I shoot a couple of things, and I get killed. I'm like, okay. I like this breakout scene as far as action stuff goes. Like, it's pretty simple, but I, I like this bit where, like, Horwich, like, Grabs his gun, <laughs> takes a bunch of shots without breathing, and then they put him, give him his mask. <laughs> Hearts War is Greg, Greg Hoblet. By the way. Hmm. He had a whole run there. Fallen, Frequency, Hearts War. <laughs> Going Unfortunately, uh, primal, primal Fear, Fallen, Frequency, Hearts War. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and I like the one he did with Brian Gosling and Fracture. Yes, thank you. I I, I don't like that movie, but I mm. I saw it. <laughs> Fair. I mean, I, I saw it once. I thought that was nice. Whatever. I like the um, first like ten minutes. There's a part where like Gosling is he's coming from like a party or something, and he gets into the courtroom and he's wearing like a tux. And uh, Xander Burke, James Cameron, T two star Xander Berkeley's the judge, <laughs> and he calls him right. James Bond, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> um. And what was the name of the Diane Lane? Untraceable. Inter- which I did not oh, enjoy. That's a, that's a terrible movie. That was a nasty, nasty film. It's a, that was it's a really far. mean. Yeah, it's really yeah. mean. I mean, I remember thinking this is much worse. This is what people think the Saw films are. Yeah, mm. that, that was the entire purpose of that movie. It's yeah, or you know, hostile or whatever that quote unquote torture. Yeah, torture board. Yeah, it's the, it's a perfect example of that. Not an oh. example of that is Teristas, which is like fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> But it it came out within that range. That's how they advertise. There's right here where he's like shooting his gun. And he's like holding, holding his, his breath. breath. Yeah, <laughs> and it's his little gun too. That's what's getting me. <laughs> he just does not give up. Yeah. And even the way he like breathes is like menacing. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't like open yeah. his mouth to gasp for air. He just open. He just like grits his teeth. But he got her. Yeah. <laughs> all those shots, he still got her from his own mother. <laughs> he killed the old lady doctor. Rock on. Tree hugger, I'll get you. Yeah, he, he punched <laughs> a disabled man. He shot Sigourney Weaver. He blew up a, he blew up a whole <laughs> tree. What can't this guy do? At this rate, he's going to get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think he's on Pandora? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the stuff he was doing on Earth. I mean, let's just say there's a reason there's not Maniac Cop Four. It was too too rough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at this this little simple like we're transporting stuff in the middle of the night. See, like it looks gorgeous because of yes, all yeah. the the lighting. So, and this yeah. could and any other director's hands is just a boring get from place A to place B. I know this is no Russo brothers visionary stuff here, but I like it. <laughs> I will say, and I get that's a necessary evil because you want to establish the body transfer stuff beforehand, but I do believe this part feels almost added and unnecessary. 
what they're trying to do with first Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, because it's it's sort of like a break between the you know the the film's rock bottom emotional moments and the action climax. It needs to give you suspense for when it happens to Jake Sully. So he's showing you. Well, yeah, you need to it yeah, yeah, take, you know, but... narratively you need to establish that this can you know that you can they do can a transfer. Do yeah. yeah. So it's not you know, but. It's a trope. I mean, it, you which know, is a it, way of you, saying you, I'm going to use the bathroom really quick. I'll be right back. It's a trope. You you show yeah. the version that doesn't work before you show the version that does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. I remember after the film came out, I was like, oh, you know, she's smoking. That makes her a bad role model. It's like, you know, she she died because her lungs sucked. That's why the transfer didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but whatever. Um, anyway, I do have to use the facilities. I'll be right back. There's another, yeah, amazing tree thing. Yeah, I mean, the movie, I mean, we've already talked about how the movie uses this kind of like literal connection. Like, I yeah. do think it's fascinating to find out more ways in which it applies, right? Where it's like, okay, we're like a person, you know, someone's, their life is going to be gone. What can we do mm-hmm. here? It's like, well, we can try to <laughs> insert, insert their consciousness into the plant. Like, okay. Right, yeah. Like, that's, I haven't seen that before at this level. No. Like, but it's, it, and you're this far into it and you understand that and it feels possible. Yeah. That that's the other thing. You're you're you believe in this. You want you, it to work because you you, you will believe like a man can. can fly and you'll believe a person can transplant transplant mm-hmm. um themselves there. I love that with him in the ad like this That's a great look. So yeah. cool looking. Yeah. Because at this point you're just fully invested in this Navi being a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, he's got dirty. Yeah, just him wandering through these ashes and stuff is all this is so awesome. And yeah, it looks devastating just seeing like the, the yeah. remains of this giant tree and everything. That's horrific because it was the most fun place there. A lot of important stuff happened there. Like, and it's just, yeah, you feel it. And it does well by having, you know, the fact that they're blue skinned aliens, like it plays well into a scene like this where you can. Yeah. You see where the the difference is here and the contrast and how that works thematically as well. Mm-hmm. But his dragon survives. He's got that going for him. It's true. He's gonna get a better one though. Yeah. <laughs> for now, yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those temporary dragons. <laughs> you can't just keep riding that dragon. Right. It's like the dragon's like I thought we were a thing. It's like, nah, man, I was. Just riding you to get to this one. Yeah. I do wonder. So, like, he he's on his dragon and he's looking mm-hmm. for like the biggest, baddest dragon. <laughs> I'm just curious, like, what was the process of him finding this thing? <laughs> like, what, what, how, did, how did he come across it? Yeah. Just like, flying around, like, we got to find the big one. Where is he? Yeah. Keep going higher, fly higher. Is that nope. Time. Yeah, and the, the the Navi they have like they have a language and they have a they have themselves a religion to go along with their culture that just feels thought out, lived in. And if you ask James Cameron, he'd know right easily that second what the answer would be. Well, once again, I mean that's why the I mean 
we've we've yeah. kind of scratched on this, but yeah, like mm-hmm. nine the 90s is when he started developing like the idea for this world and this story, right? Mm-hmm. You were like a big treatment. Why right. do you make this movie? Had to wait because the technology just wasn't good enough. It's like I I I know yeah. what I want to do and I can't physically do this right now. He sees Gollum, right? And he's right, like, yeah. What? He's like, what has got it? What is no Weta knows what they're doing. It's so time. Let me yeah, let me develop technology of Weta. While he's doing that, he recruits like linguists and scholars to develop like the mm-hmm. language for this film. The language is a big part of it. That starts in like 2005. So he's like doing that and like developing more of the story at the same time he's getting Weta to be like, let's you know, put to, let's make a world together. <laughs> it's, it's it's all this stuff going but, on. But but the story's simple. Like, <laughs> well, it is simple. It's primal. What's but wrong with that? What is wrong with that? Or, you know, you, you have a simple, primal, relatable story so that audiences can focus on the characters and the visuals and the spectacle and all that. Star Wars simple... was simple. Why exactly. is that? Exactly. Absolutely. Like, what? And What's, the Matrix uh, is basically Star Wars. I mean, it's even more of a hero's journey it's than hero's Star journey, Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Matrix I mean, is just more complex in its details. That's it. Yeah, exactly. A simple story in a complex world. Yeah. And that's what this is. Strong you, know, you can do Indiana Jones. Generally can do simple. one or the other, but you can't do both. Yeah. And I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule. But, yeah, of course it's exceptions, but it's like <laughs> Yeah. Um it's just being good at making movies. Is what yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I feel like and I've I've said this aired plays like I feel like craft and technical wizardry and stuff with movies is like not held up as high or appreciated as much as it should be. Um, because you know, in the digital era, like anything's possible now, but like doing it well should still be a factor. Like that still yeah. should put your star rate. Like if you do something groundbreaking, like with the avatar stuff and you're say you're on a five point rating scale, it should automatically be held at like a 2.5 and it can only move up from there. Like, or something like that, because you that counts be for my so much. Anytime Jake Sully. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, there you go. But I, I think like I don't think like, there's so much more to a movie that just we always like story and uh, acting. That's all we can focus on here. Um, and if we liked it a lot, we'll say directing, but we don't even know really know what the director's giving uh, with a lot of people. But like I think something like Avatar, just for what it, the amazing stuff that it's done, it, it, that has to weigh heavy on it as well. Even if, like, say the story was like, but I would still give the visual experience a lot of credit. I can't, I wouldn't say it's a terrible film because, man, uh, the visuals were groundbreaking. They did a lot of things we'd never seen before. They did them very well. I don't know. Like, I, yeah. Like, if Uwe Boll delivered a movie, but damn, it was something, a visual feast. Uh, yeah, I would... Still have to give him credit for that. Well, I mean, to use an obvious example, I mean, and I don't even remember their names offhand. Those two guys that did all those lousy satires in the twenty, in the two thousands. Friedberg and Seltzer, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> of those, I mean, Vampires Suck is almost okay. <laughs> huh. Um. Yeah. For whatever not, reason, you're, it's... you're not going to get me to say much about these movies. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, and that's that's all I'm going to. 
Well, like I've seen like the some of the dismissive stuff about the new Avatar. I was like, well, visually it's it's pretty awesome the action, but the story one out of five. Like, no, 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 no. Sorry, like, no, I don't know. I and, haven't uh, seen the movie, but it just like I don't know. It Maybe. is unfortunate that visuals of a certain cinematic level are no longer taken for granted. We can we can no longer take it for granted. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking a day before this movie comes out as far as what the world's going to respond with, as opposed to the mm-hmm. handful of people on Twitter that have seen it. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, that's all I can go off of right now. But um, there's not much wrong visually with this first Avatar movie. I will say this stuff with, you know, the humans in the tr- with the trees, not the best. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it, it, it stretches it a little bit too far. He rectifies that in the sequel <laughs> as far as human interactions with Navi goes, but I think this stuff is like, yeah, it's not, it's not wouldn't be a scene I'd highlight uh, from a visual perspective. I like this though, when it doesn't work and it all fades to black like that, that's a that's sad. That's a, it's effectively sad. <laughs> yeah, that's what James Horner <laughs> put on there, and that's why they fought again. <laughs> I'm sorry, it took me a second. His <laughs> <laughs> camera fights with people sometimes, and uh, he's fought with Warner of quite a few. <sighs> he wasn't, I, I believe, he wasn't too thrilled with the aliens score, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Every and, trailer editor in the universe was. Yeah, but he wasn't, and that's why he didn't work <laughs> with him on T2 or True Lies. But huh. then he, but then he heard his, I believe, his Braveheart score. And that's what brought him back for Titanic. That <laughs> it's like, makes sense. I think he really liked his Braveheart. I believe that's what it was. <laughs> I was like, fine. <laughs> Come out and back, like, just James. Fine, I'll make a greatest hits album of all my themes and I'll win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not got... necessarily a criticism because that score is awesome in the movie. So, yeah. But so, he, so he got him back they... for that. <laughs> it's funny because I, I listened to the I bought the Titanic CD. Before, they actually released that like a month before the movie came out. Why? Cameron wanted to be like a because Cameron wanted to be like a Broadway <laughs> Yeah, because it, because it rules. It's an amazing score. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's and a big that's so, a big part of the relevancy of Titanic. Yeah. The fact that the music is incredibly iconic. Yeah. But you know, listening to it out of context, I liked it. It was very good. Because it's good. It music. was like yeah. it's it felt like again, it felt like you know, James Horner greatest hits album to a certain extent. You had certain tracks that sounded like the Rocketeer, certain tracks that sounded like Apollo 13, bits of Braveheart, a little bit of Aliens. And then of course when I saw the movie, it's like holy shit. Even though I already know this music, it is kicking my ass. Mm-hmm. Here, it's fine. Like, I don't think it's a bad score yeah. by any means. It's not. James Horner's done a lot of really good scores. This is the one where I'd rank it super high among his many themes that he's made over the it's years. It's almost invisible music, especially for him. In a way. I mean, I do. There's theme. There's a lot of stings um yeah like highlight moments especially with like courage where it's like Da-da-da! like it just has this kind of like almost like old school war movie type of feel to it mixed with like obviously like the tribal stuff and what have you but yeah it is it feels it's like appropriate seasoning like it makes sense given oh, the yeah. context of this movie but yes it's not i mean if that said like when the when the trailer for the second one started coming out and they're riffing off of the theme because obviously James Horner passed away when they're riffing off of the theme it's like okay that sounds recognizable it has that going for it like it feels like it fits uh 
I really yeah. like the music they used for the first teaser. I do too, and I, was, cause I, uh-huh. I it, it, it it made me feel like I was being reminded of Pandora, a movie yes, where the like, music, like the music, uh, is not something that I'd associate with Pandora, and yet that trailer got me in a zone. Where I'm like, this reminds me of this movie. It, it almost felt like a warm, welcoming, welcome home. Yeah, which is impressive for a movie like this. That yeah, really, like the score, you know, it's no Titanic. <laughs> No, no. Even it's, the theme. It's... What's the theme? Is it like what Carrie Underwood is on the theme for like the song at the end of the credits? Uh, this thing? I will take your word on that. I believe that's right. No. Leona Lewis. All right. <laughs> Jesus. They can't all be. My heart will go on. Mm-hmm. As much as they tried it for a couple of years. I'll be curious if this song by the weekend takes off because I like this song in the new one. Yeah. Also, just I like the weekend, so yeah, it works. I like it more than Adam Sandler. Generally worth waiting for. <laughs> Here's another teaser for the way of water right here. <laughs> I do like the way it is hinting at stuff. Like, there's a whole world beyond Pandora, guys. <laughs> like, check this out. It's like, you know, we'll mm-hmm. get back to this another time, but here's some other tribes that exist in this world. Yeah, I like I like that he, he thinks, I mean, to have like it's not just Navi. There's there's Navi, but the Navi have community. They have because yes. another director could be just just Navi. It's like, isn't there a whole planet? <laughs> like, what? Well, yeah, but you know. <laughs> also, that that big speech that he gives, where yes, he asks permission first before he can talk. I really like the way you know because you're at such a low point, like you mentioned, Scott. It's the whole like you know everything's bad right now, and. I do think it it works in being rousing the way it's supposed to, and then and the the coupling that with having Laz Alonso's character like translating what he's saying and like getting everybody yeah. excited. I think that is good stuff. Like that's just good like beat stuff for the story. And then his speech is pretty rousing too. Yeah, well, he, he... I was about ready to grab a gun and kill some Navi. <laughs> Is there like no other land where unobtainium is available to like it's just this part of Pandora? Mm-hmm. It's like the spice of Dune. And they just like get some vibranium. That's Apparently different... that's everywhere now. That's a <laughs> it's only in two places, Scott. That we know of. It was in one place, now it's in two <laughs> places. That's I'm pretty it. sure in every Black Panther movie they're gonna find vibranium somewhere else. <laughs> I like how Dooley no, Brown is just like hanging out in the lab still, like, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, this guy's probably cool." <laughs> we shouldn't suspect he, him of giving any notes. Anyway. To, to state the somewhat, he obvious, will be allowed to stay. This film was very much, you know, a metaphor for the post nine eleven American foreign policy in a way that obviously resonated overseas. And yeah, the film kind of plays it safe by having them be independent contractors. But for most people, they were hooting and hollering at indigenous blue people killing the shit out of U.S. Marines. And to a certain extent, this was a weirdly appropriate end to the George W. Bush era, even though this was, of course, also Obama's first year in office. 
There was crossover. Oh. There was crossover. Yeah, no, no, there was no. It was his first year. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, I, oh. I'm like two. Th- it opened no, in 2009, no, okay. went into 2010. I was thinking they're yeah. opposite ways. So sorry. Um, and this was also, you know, it had been long enough, I guess, where you really started seeing movies that were big, fantastical blockbusters. That, to be fair, take a while to make dealing with you know reckoning with the the post you know the 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 national sins of our reaction to 9-11 obviously the dark knight uh i would argue the pirates of the caribbean sequels where the british so overreact to the menace of piracy that they become the bad guys themselves um well the pirates are just it, a bunch of free william lovable scamps <laughs> that go around uh taking wine and taking names or whatever so yeah uh, um, Tom Hollander is bad guy. He wants, and even you know, How to Train Your Dragon was sort of you know, it was you know these two seemingly disparate enemies that realize that they don't actually have to kill each other if they don't want. Although of course the film does kind of have an hour where they team up to kill God. Sure. <laughs> 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 oh. Well, Scott, we've come this far without talking about the box office at all. <laughs> a lot of money. How'd this movie open? It made $77 million in its opening weekend domestically. That's still a record for a live-action, wholly original picture. And against, um, uh, what, a Sherlock, right? Uh, Sherlock was the second weekend. That opened to $62 million. Oh, that's what that was like. While the Avatar dropped a whopping 2% for a $75 million second weekend. <laughs> that's when I realized it was crazy. <laughs> that was the I realized weekend. it was crazy because, again, to be fair, I was following these numbers. So it was sort of by the first Monday and Tuesday as I was running the numbers and realizing that it was pulling bigger weekday grosses than anything other than like The Dark Knight and, you know, maybe one or two other huge mega super duper summer movies i was like oh fuck this is happening again <laughs> he, he, he's gonna do it again holy shit yeah i um, mean camera may not be the king of the opening weekend but man people stay and they'll they'll go see his, they'll go see his movie well, any day of the week other than the star wars movies which are sort of an anomaly that's what you you trade a bigger opening weekend for longer legs when you open in christmas right um, where any day could be a Saturday over the yeah, holiday. Exactly. Break. There's like a two week space where, yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, even something like King Kong, which was a quote unquote disappointment when they only opened to like 66 million over five days, it legged out to 210 and 550 worldwide. Um, what I love about Avatar is there's a whole Wikipedia page devoted to all of the records Avatar broke at the box. <laughs> it's a <Many>. long page. <laughs> it's a long ass page. It's a huge page. I was there. Um, And yeah, it eventually topped out at 749, not counting any re-releases. Domestic, which was the biggest grossing domestic earner of all time, not accounted for inflation. It made $2.7 billion worldwide. Um, Again, not counting any re-releases, which was, I mean, it was $900 million more than Titanic. Which had done one point eight billion dollars at that point. Now there were doubters, obviously, as there usually is, right? There were doubters as well, how big this thing would be. Yeah, because I mean, it's 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 it's. I remember doing it a, a radio interview over Thanksgiving weekend, and the people I was talking to, I think it was the BBC, they didn't even know what the hell Avatar was. They'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. 
And there were like people on the street talk show things where they'd ask people what they thought of Avatar and they had no idea what the hell they were talking about. Um, there was a real plausible fear that it would get comparatively steamrolled by Sherlock Holmes. And for the record, Sherlock Holmes was also a big hit. So it yeah, wasn't it did like great. there's some losers here. Yeah, yeah everybody wants it. And, the, and won. the squeakle. The squeakle did great. Yeah, the squeakle kicked mm-hmm. ass. The only thing that lost was Princess and the Frog. Um, and they released it too late. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. They were they all the hype and all the interest and all the media attention was over Thanksgiving weekend when it was opening like two screens. They wanted the that old old school, you know, limited El Capitan release. And by the time it went wide in mid December, everybody was talking about Avatar because it had just had its first critic screening that Thursday, and everyone was like, "Holy fuck, he did it!" And then that Monday was the IMAX press screening. That's where I saw it. And then you know the rest is history. Um, uh, it was re-released in August of 2010, where it brought its domestic total up to 760, um, and then its overseas total by you know x number of dollars. I don't know the. It was still two two point seven, two point two point eight, give or take. Um, oh, the blind side and, is cleaning up also at that point too. Yeah, I mean, the blind. <laughs> 2009 was, was a crazy such, year. Yeah. The last few months of two, I could do a whole book on just the last four months of 2009, because you had Paranormal Activity just making seven million dollars in 200 screens mm-hmm. in part of its platform release, and eventually, you know, the, that season sort of climaxed with Halloween, where it kicksaw Six's ass all over the place, and sort of, you know, the king is dead, long live the new king. And the next week you had a Michael Jackson biopic documentary concert thing that opened at $30 million domestic, a hundred worldwide. I mean, that's unthinkable today in any number of ways. Um, this stuff is all cool, by the way. We're watching this. Oh, big yeah, this action it's like yeah, dragons me... flying from the air, attacking spaceships and horses and on the ground, go mobilizing. Like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, this is this is Lord of the Rings level spectacle. I mean, that is a compliment. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where, where are we night now? We are two hours and 14 minutes in. So there's still a half hour of this movie left. Yeah. And we're getting to this giant action sequence that you've built up to after all this, you know, epicness, all this scope that we've been seeing and learning about the land or whatnot. Now we're getting just pure Cameron James. James Cameron does action. And he's yeah. pretty good at that. He's proven Lots that. Of Lots of so flying arrows. Boom. That's everybody's favorite move. They grab by, they grab it by the tail, and they throw yeah. it into a cliff. Grab that. It's either that or slamming an arrow into a cockpit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is always cool. Slight spoiler for the sequel: they do that a lot. <laughs> That's like you know, Scarlett Johansson always does. You know, only has the one move as Black Widow, where she like grabs their neck with her thighs or whatever, and does a triple flip or whatever. Um. Even Joel Davis in on this. <laughs> like a lot of great action sequences of this scale, is in is itself a three-act journey. Yeah. You have the initial attack, which is kind of mixed on both sides, and then you have they're getting their asses kicked in the middle, and then the animals show up and save the day. Actually, no, I apologize. They're getting their asses kicked by the end of the first act. The animals save the day in the second act. And then the third act, it just goes uh, on the versus the two. They, go mano on the, they, get on, mano. they get on the ground. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's <laughs> again, this is exactly Cameron just being amazing at this, where I look at something <laughs> like, like Michael Bay is such a weird thing to me where it's like, sometimes he fucking crushes it. It's great. Yeah. And other times it's like, 
he just loses the thread completely. There's just no understanding of like my the big example is, is Transformers three, right? Where like Optimus Prime gets like stuck in wires for half an hour. Yeah. Every scene feels like it could be played at random and fit where it is. That it's, should it's a... be one of the greatest action scenes of the 21st century, but it's not <laughs> for exactly the reasons you described. Because there's no narrative consistency to it. It's yeah. just like I, it's just a number of greatest hits piled together. It's, it's funny because, you know, the next year, Joss Whedon was like, what if we did that, but it was good? Michelle mm-hmm. oh. Rodriguez got herself some face paint and her helicopter to Mark to be like, don't hurt this one, Navi. <laughs> Friendly. That's the best that she can do. She's wearing war paint, so... <laughs> By the way, random outside, whatever, you know, the floating mountains, that was actually something that I had also seen in a film recently. It was a cartoon that came out in 2008, I think from France, called uh, starring Forrest Whitaker called Dragon Hunters. Hmm. It's a period piece, and I honestly can't tell you much about the plot, but I remember it being incredibly moving and melancholy. And visually, it was very, very impressive in terms of, and I remember the floating mountains. That was sort of a, a set piece that stood out to me. So if you're ever really bored and you can track it down easily, I do recommend it. Okay. Um, and for that matter, Battle for Terror is pretty good. I don't know if you've ever actually seen that one. I know it exists. Oh. Yeah. I, I that's basically. I, <laughs> I know it's uh, been noted as being similar to this. Yeah. Um. Boom, yeah, those explosions, those the horses flipping, it's just, <laughs> oh. The horse, the horse, the horse is on fire. This is like, on the one hand, this is really cool watching Lazalazo like beat mm-hmm. the hell out of some Marines on this thing. Like, it's really crazy. <laughs> uh, not not crazy about the, yeah, like how much they want to make him resemble Native American by having all the, like, all the vestige on him and what have you. Yeah. But then he gets taken out like a punk right here. It's like, okay. But it's such a great death scene. It is, but it's like, man. Like, this guy's supposed to be, he's like, the best, outside of Jake Sully and Natiri, the best warrior they have. Like, this guy gets lucky. (laughs) I guess so, right? He just, like, pops out of the corner and takes some shots. And then, like, Michelle Rodriguez dies right here. And Joel David Moore's avatar body dies. But JDM, pretty, yeah. but, then it, but then it's pretty cool because he just gets right back up and gets out there again. It's like, oh, good for him. <laughs> he's, he's not done. And that's actually the one change I not change the addition I don't like in the extended cuts. I get it in terms of him being the one to put him down on the ground, so to speak. You know, to, uh, you're, uh, you're speaking to like Jake Sully has a scene with Laz Alonzo's character. Yeah, where he stabs him in a ritualistic way. I get it, but I think his death as it exists, where him just you know falling to his death outside out of the Heller carrier is just so incredibly engrossing that it's mm-hmm. I I prefer it just be that. That he just plummets in out of the sky into you know darkness or whatever. Yeah, the, the hopelessness seems more clear yeah. here right now as opposed to having like extended dialogue. Yeah, be like, oh, you're you're gonna do it, man. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. tried. Yeah. 
I like that ticking bomb, by the way, as far as that kind of plot device. It's like, there's a giant thing they're going to unload. Here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so second weekend, this movie, yeah, drops nothing yeah <laughs> and then it keeps going right and just... oh yeah it keeps it does i think like 68 million in its third weekend which is you know and again while this is happening sherlock's kicking ass alvin two's kicking ass uh you know it's complicated it's crossing 100 million eventually back when adults actually went to the movies to see adult movies it's complicated that's that's wow. a nancy myers movie yep not one of the best <laughs> no, but I, I do. There's one bit that always stood out to me where, he, where Alec Baldwin talks about how so many couples who's, you know, who go through marital difficulties because of the challenges of having kids, if they just hold off until their kids are grown, they'd be fine. Um, I don't think what else was out. It's, you know, Princess and the Frog. Invictus is out. Oh, right, right. That one did, was not a super the, smash. The, the, hmm. the second best movie about apartheid that year. <laughs> what was and, the and, uh, again? Uh, oh yeah, District, District Nine, of course. Whatever, yeah. But we but the one but the one thing right there. The, yeah, it is when he gets crushed in the face. That's great. Mm -hmm. The the one thing Invictus had though that District Nine didn't was a memorable performance worthy of an Oscar nomination. Because if there's oh, one thing that Invictus had, it's not not just Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela, but that guy that Matt Damon played. His, <laughs> him, that guy. <laughs> He did. Well, what does Matt Damon do except let other people take the spotlight? That guy, I mean, man. You know? That's what I find most interesting about Damon is how often he's willing to take a back seat and let the co-star get all the glory. That's great when a dragon bites a guy. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. on, on, on the one hand, you have like you have District 9 where you're getting this guy plucked out of obscurity giving a performance that's pretty damn good. And then you have Matt Damon playing rugby guy. Did he get an Oscar nomination? For yes, that? he did, Scott. Oh, I thought we were just being dicks. <laughs> no, we're not. Oh. They, the Oscars oh. were being I dicks. I retract the nice things him. I was saying about him. I mean, it's true, but generally speaking, <laughs> like he's like fine, you know, he wants but to like... DiCaprio is. Oh my God, he's amazing. Uh, oh. Francois Pierre. Yeah, of that course. Was his name. That that memorable character Matt Damon played with what I assume is a very convincing South African accent. No one ever complains about those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just the best. Up in the air is out that time. That I think was one of the biggest grossing movies to never cracked the top five. That adds up. And right here is pretty uh, cool where Jake Sully's like taking on this whole thing and he like throws out two grenades at once. <laughs> like giving and he them tries the... it again and it doesn't work the second doesn't time. work, but he gives him the finger the first time and it's pretty cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right here. <laughs> he does it. Oh, nine, of course. The other Ooh. memorable musical that everyone. Oh really my loves. god! Because they're like, what's what's a what's a good way to tarnish Daniel Day Lewis's reputation? <laughs> if you, if you, pair, with, if you pair him with Rob Marshall, I mean, that might help. <laughs> god, Rob Marshall. Um, that that wouldn't amuse me because you know it comes out, it's terrible. The reviews are bad. Nobody shows up. And then you have articles in the trade saying, will bad reviews and poor box office hurt Nine's Oscar chances? 
yes. (laughs) And if not, what the hell is going on here? Rounding out this time, of course, did you hear about the Morgans? That opened against Avatar. Did you hear about him? Nope. And nobody else did either. But did you? I heard about him, yeah. Okay. That's that period where every every two years, Hugh Grant would just pop up with another movie star and be like, hey, we're trying this again. And he'd make money. Notice. <laughs> Music and lyrics. Oh. It's when he's on his own where he does well. About a boy. <laughs> he just leaves to his own <laughs> devices and he's fine. <laughs> oh, it still worked. Okay, good. And there's another another good court scene right here where it's like, my shoulder's on fire. I don't care. I'm getting my neck. <laughs> this is his Rasputin cosplay scene. Right here. Yeah. Like, he leaves it on fire. <laughs> He's like, okay, let me put this out. <laughs> Minor inconvenience. Yes. <laughs> and here's the, here's the follow-up to the leaf thing, right, where he's falling down. He's like, now I do catch the leaves, and I know it'll walk it off. It took like two hours, but there's a payoff to him landing on the ground. I do like all that work that goes into getting into this mech until we can get out of time. <laughs> and I like this where the whole thing blows up. And I have to assume this did not feel painful when he lands like that on the ground. It would have been great if he landed, still had that coffee mug in his hand. That'd be great. And now you've gone and made him upset. I, I mean, do like that they bond with because... these other animals too. They got this panther thing on their side. But I mean, I get like Jake Sully went back on his deal he made with him. I'd be pissed too. He is not a trustworthy fellow. A oh, good thing is a rearview mirror. <laughs> Objects are close. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, these like personal fights are great. Yeah, <laughs> Cameron, like you know, all of his movies, like you just think about these things. You think about aliens, you think about both Terminators, you think about this, you think even like stuff in Titanic, where it's just like these mono mono things. There's like so much dramatic tension yeah. and emotional earned things that are earned here. Like True Lies is the one that like doesn't really have that because it's too much. It's not like concerned with it. It's so it's so throwaway by comparison. Where it's like, yeah, and then Arnold kills a bunch of guys. Whatever. Like it's just not. I mean, not I like deal. the film quite a bit. And I, think I do it's, too. It's great, but but it's it's the closest thing I would say he's made to a cynical picture. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, because it well, I mean, because yeah. that because that story he doesn't care about. It's about the, yeah. it, you know, It's a Jamie Lee Curtis's story. It just happens to have Arnold in a spy adventure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, by the time you get like, you know, the main terrorist guy or whatnot, it's not like Arnold and him need to face off, really. It's just like, okay, let me deal with this. Like I've already, <laughs> like the wife stuff is the that's the core of it. By the yeah. time he when he's when he's when he's holding her hand off the limousine and then the nuclear bomb goes off as they're making out, like that's the that's the climax yeah, of the that's movie. The, that's the yeah. emotional 
Endgame. Everything else is just epilogue where it's like, okay, yeah. my daughter, all right, I got to save him from a terrorist, another one of these. Like, let me do that real quick. And it's such a gee whiz movie in that, you know, it, yes, it's violent. Yes, there's, you know, it earns its heart rating. But for example, nobody, everyone in the film that dies is a bad guy. There's not a single scene of a quote unquote good guy being killed. Yeah. Unless um, it's a dream sequence with Tom Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> or Bill Paxton. Um yeah, when, when, oh, was when, it Bill Paxton? Yeah, it was Bill, Bill Paxton. Yeah, he smacked, he, yeah, he smacked yeah. Him. yeah. Yep. Well, like what you're exactly right, Scott. Like in that after you know, after the nuclear bomb go, you know, the bomb goes off and it's like our, our daughter's been kidnapped, we have to get her. What I because I just watched it recently. Arnold's line is literally Bye, as he says. Like, that's what he says yeah. as he gets in a Harrier and flies off. Like, it's it's, it's very... this weirdly gee whiz picture. Yeah. And, you know, I, I realize this is an excuse, but when I was watching it, you know, I, I in terms of the film's depiction of Middle Eastern terrorists, they were so cheerful and funny that it was like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's the whole film has this weird gee whiz quality to it. It's weird because it's, it's this mix of, it wouldn't play well with main audiences today in that way. But at the same time, like if you actually really watch it, it's not like it's, it's too like silly to be offensive. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's and not... even the Jamie Lee Curtis stuff. I remember, you know, I saw it when I was 14 is like, it was really the first time I had seen in a mainstream movie of this nature, such a sympathetic female character who was, seen as being worthy of love and respect and, and quote-unquote forgiveness even while contemplating adultery mm-hmm. that the film didn't you know basically took her side and that's why i've never understood some of the accusations thrown its way it's like mm-hmm. the film is entirely on her side in terms of her emotional feelings yeah you're not i mean you're like you're laughing along with arnold to some degree yeah. but you're also not like yeah. you're not super cool with him at this point no. like he's because he's purposely being a dick <laughs> and also even you know i mean even says you know i want to give her a little bit of adventure and it, it's almost sincere mm-hmm. by the way extra 200 million bucks because she kills the bad guy at the end yeah this is great <laughs> and then you get and, and not only does she hit him once she gets him again oh yeah <laughs> another like second arrow you need two arrows for this guy she yeah. kills him dead and again what's the first thing we see in this movie those giant fucking arrows mm-hmm. And he even says something along the lines of like, it'll take more than arrows to get me. <laughs> yeah. So like, I got the knife. I need to use it. Do I need to use it? Nope. We're okay. That's a good look. She gives too is when he's dying. Yeah. It's like, it, it, it just adds up. This stuff is fascinating to me, by the way, too, the far, as far as like, he's running out of air and he yeah. has to like take deep breaths so he can be inside of his avatar. While like there's, a, it's a lot of like neat cross cutting to make that work. And it doesn't have to do but too much because the movie has very easily communicated all this the whole time. So no, correct. I also like scenes of female character walks into guy struggling and has to figure out what it is that are shared between this movie and Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> What were they doing here? Oh, they were trying to reach for this thing. All right, I figured it out. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> They're fine. Now. Uh, and yeah, said, is, it in, I, is it in Casino Royale when after he does the defibrillator, he asks, are you okay? 
Is that, is that, the, is that yeah, the line yeah. he has? <laughs> what he, like, he's just been revived from death, and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I believe so. We should probably do that at some point. <laughs> we've, we've done a, we did Quantum. We should do the other Craig movie. Go backwards. Yeah. There's when's always next, something. When's very the next Bond coming out? Pretty two years. Satisfying and moving about her cradling, quote unquote, the real him in this way at the end. Yeah, this looks better. Um, I like this mm-hmm. a lot more than the the tree stuff. I think this looks really good by comparison. Yeah. Yeah, because you feel it more because you care about these people more. Like you know, don't want to see Sigourney Weaver die, but at the same time, it's like yeah. Yeah, this. This is more affecting. I like the aw shucksness of Giovanni Ravisi mm-hmm. walking off. Yeah, <laughs> just hands in his pockets. Like I guess we lost. Get out of here! I come back on weekends. I like that there's like the Does other avatar program program people here that are like, huh, wait, I guess I get to stay. Because so, <laughs> I just watched this in, at the IMAX, the, at the re-release thing. In the re-release, they, they give, he has a line. He says like, well, you know, we'll be he back, does. right? He says, well, you know, we'll be back, right? Which is dumb. They shouldn't have done that. It's a dumb line. And I didn't remember it from the movie to begin with. Yeah. Like, oh, that's weird. So it's not in the theatrical cut. So that's like an, a no, weird. That's that like a weird. A that's a weird sequel tease. Like, like as if we didn't know their sequels coming. So look forward to that on the 4K release of Avatar. I guess you can find a PC as an extra line at the end. <laughs> well, that's the last we're going to see of Jake Sully's tattoos. <laughs> They do so seem long, more, Mr. Anderson. They do seem more yeah. excited about the whole tree thing here this time around. It probably helps in it. Well, they they, they just won. won. I know. <laughs> How often do you think they're pulling one of these ceremonies? I'm sorry. How often are they pulling one of these ceremonies? Oh, I don't know. Like, I can't imagine there's too many, like, extra bodies lying around to transfer <laughs> souls into. Right. But they seem to have a pretty good pattern for how to do this. I'm going to okay. hang up this body. Okay, that's the last time we see Jake's tattoos. <laughs> what you don't want to see. I do like these weird, like, jellyfish things that are, like, hanging around all the time. Yeah. And like we talked over that, but I, I like the fact that they like chose Jake is interesting to me. So right. the way they do that at the beginning. Title on screen. Not in papyrus. And it's green, which is interesting. Like, you know, it's it always sticks out to me because it's such a blue movie. But it's like, and the title's in green right here at the end. See you in 13 years. And now we get not Celine Dion. Dune Entertainment (laughs) presents Avatar. Wait, what? (laughs) Ingenious film partners. I like how we get to hang with the world here. Yeah. Through the credits. It's so cool. 
Those wait arches you... kind of feel iconic with Avatar for some reason. I noticed there's like a big focus on them when I was watching it this last time. It was like they're they're always visible in a lot of spots. I'll just say the yeah. the uh, the way of water knows how to uh, present an end credit sequence as well. Mm. <laughs> there is something valuable in a fully lived in fantasy world that people actually feel that they'd want to visit, whether it's Middle Earth, Wakanda, mm-hmm. Pandora, etc., etc. Oh. Joel David Moore. Single credit, look at that. And ahead of CCH Pounder. <laughs> no periods. And Sigourney Weaver. It's because that's a exclamation, Scott. So there's no period. I I'd approve of that. I do like that James Cameron was just like so into Weta at this point, where it's like I know like ILM did some stuff on this also, but like you know, mm-hmm. you you think about like ILM being such a pioneer, and at this point, like what is like taken over to some degree, oh, or it's like Christ. how much how much Disney Plus is think. telling me that because I watched Avatar, I should watch Avengers Endgame. <laughs> yeah, that's the funniest shit. <laughs> you want to see what real visionaries do. <laughs> a movie we all like we should say oh, yeah, this out it's, loud it's, it's yeah. more bitter irony than anything else <laughs> right yes yes and the idea of competing these against these two, they're in the same they're in the same app <laughs> it's not it's not a big competition here um oh I should turn my light back on not the movie's over well we did it we talked all about Avatar we did it with no tangents Twenty one fifty four, not gonna be the same. Twenty what? That's when this takes place. Twenty one fifty four. Oh, soon we're getting there. <laughs> we can survive the. Uh, we survive most of the cinematic plagues, the twelve monkeys, the demolition man shit. We're in Soylent, Soylent Green right now, I believe, is where we're. Oh, okay. We are past Blade Runner, heading towards twenty forty nine. Past Blade Runner, how's fine now? And then we made contact. Um, mm-hmm. so we have that going for us. Um, ah. let's see, we passed mm-hmm. Demolition Man, we passed Predator 2 a while ago at this point, mm-hmm. and LA's even worse. <laughs> so, yeah, we're doing we, pa- we passed Conquest, uh, for the Planet of the Apes. Ooh, while that was back. Rock bottom. It's all uphill from here, a while back, but. <laughs> We haven't got 1994, I believe. Is when does the reboot, tr- the rebooted trilogy, take place, give or take, if you know? Uh, of the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, yeah. The, the I would say one. the Genesis, but it'd probably be like when they came out. Yeah. Okay. So pretty, you know. okay. Even War, I think, is not too far ahead of things because it's just yeah. the way things, because Caesar's still alive. I mean, so it's like, it can't be too far. Well, yeah, he had to invent salads. So <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's what happened, yeah. You know, you know, a monkey made invented that, right? Vitrine, like what? Yeah. Well, apparently, Adam Driver killed the dinosaurs. That's what we're learning this week. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised <laughs> it took this long for us to figure that out. Yeah, uh, this Super movie, Mario Brothers lied to me. This movie was budgeted at two thirty-seven million. A uh, bargain. That's what they say. There's mm-hmm. been always rumors that it's been a lot more. Um, 
I think the the, the, the main thought is it shows. Like, who cares? Yeah. It, like, what, it made two point seven billion dollars. <laughs> what, yeah. Whatever it whatever it cost, there it For is. Pretty sure it didn't cost that much. <laughs> like, oh no, Avatar Two cost four hundred million dollars. You know what cost one hundred and thirty? Emancipation. And like luck cost like one to two hundred million. Does anyone even remember luck? It's worse than every Pixar movie. It's it's fucking terrible. <laughs> it's it's not good. <sighs> Anyone else cost two hundred million? Red Notice. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Gray Man. Hey, those that Avatar was made. That, that a... was made by Visionaries. The Gray Man. So. <sighs> Visionaries. Visionaries. Because they have CG in their movies, so they're visionaries. All right. Well, that's enough bad mouthing of the Russos. I think we could wrap this up <laughs> as we get to the end of this You know, they, they help progress uh, gay cinema by playing a gay person in one of theirs. <laughs> in a film we otherwise mostly enjoy. Yes, that's right. That, that you should watch right after Avatar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in uh, fact, you'll get to that scene really quickly. Another film that, you know, which credit isn't full of action that holds most of its slam bang material to the end. Um, yeah, it's more keepery up to the third act. You can say um, that about a lot of Marvel movies, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Avatar still good. Yeah, yeah, it works, works really well. <laughs> now, I look forward to watching the next one again after this. Me too. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, all right, well. Uh, let, let's let's go over this thing. Let's wrap all this up. When where can people find more of you guys online? Uh, Brandon Peters, where can people find more of you? Uh, you can find me uh, personally on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Four K U H D. I have written stuff on WhySoBlue.com. I think it's like top ten list time of the year, so that stuff's gonna be on uh, there or, or on my YouTube channel, uh, which is part of the Brandon Peters Show, which uh, you can check out Scott and I talking about Wednesday here soon. And uh, then uh, I'll be you'll be hearing these commentaries for a couple of weeks as I take a break into the new year and come back with some uh, fun stuff for you. Scott Mendelson. Oh, I'm at the wrap at the moment. Um, and I'm still at Twitter and at Scott Mendelson. Find everything I do over at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. I write for Leave Entertainment and Wise the Blue, and I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. This podcast can be found anywhere you can find podcasts or on all the socials as well, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us on all those platforms there. Um, let's see. Next, I mean, we're starting a new year, guys. We have, uh, we'll certainly have some options. Maybe we should do a theme again. It was fun when we were doing those themes. <laughs> all the Hannibal right. Lecter movies. Uh, video game movies up to Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> that actually wouldn't be a terrible idea. I mean, I'm not, well, I'm not against that. Although you've done a bunch of the fun ones already. Street that's, Fighter, Mortal Kombat. That's true. But we'll, we'll think of something. But it is, yeah. fun, it is fun to do some some kind of a theme that carries Have through. we done any John Wick movies? No. We've done a lot of we've done a lot of Keanu movies in general. Yeah. Though, so. Part two would be interesting to talk about. I mean, obviously they're all good, but we'll have things to go over. We'll figure it out. But that is going to do it for this uh, commentary uh, for Avatar. Uh, so thanks everyone for listening. That's going to do it for this. Thank you, Brandon and Scott, for joining me for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, until next time. So long. Bye.